Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to a very special interrupted paternity leave version of Dunked On. Danny is gone for a couple of weeks here, but great to have him back because he just had to abandon his new family <laughs> to do awards. Uh, how's everything going, man? It's going really well, thanks. I mean, it's as you know, it's a lot of changes and it's a lot of stuff going on, but it's all it's it's been very good. We're fortunate to have to have help, and baby's doing well. My wife's doing well. And so it's, you know, it's it's been a great process. It will, of course, continue for a much longer time. But it's been it's also been nice to like have I I carve out a little bit of time each day to like work on the awards and to log the games that happen and everything else like that. So it's like I'm trying to stay at least vaguely tethered to the world that we inhabit. All right. Well, then uh, I think not being tethered to this MVP debate has probably been enjoyable. I will say this whole, oh my God, it's so toxic now. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Is it? Why? Like, well, and can just... I, can I, and if it's, if you're finding it toxic, then you, those people don't have to engage in it. Like that's, it's, it's another part of this is like, if there are people that you think are making it worse, then there are many ways to make it so that that is less of your life personally. But yeah, it has been weird. Yeah. All you have to do is just have a baby right around this time. And <laughs> yes, then you that's just... the real, that's the real trick. <laughs> <laughs> then you just don't have to engage. No, I mean, I, I haven't seen, like, I have a list that I follow. If you guys want to join it, it's called Essential Basketball on Twitter. That's basically all I look at. I don't listen to the Talking Head shows, really, unless one of those clips shows up on my list, which is very rare. And so I, I think it's it's fine. Like, oh, uh, Daryl Morey is advocating for his guy. Like, yeah, go ahead, Daryl. I don't care. It's part of his job. <laughs> well, at least he sees it that way. Okay, let's do it then. Jokic versus Embiid. Who you got? I have Jokic as my number one. And I am, this is the first year ever that I come into this awards podcast. And I think part of this might be, you know, the baby and everything else. But where there are elements of my top five ballot, because in this, we generally try to hew to what the actual ballot is. And and when I have them in my notes, I will tell you all the actual criteria as it is written in the NBA. I don't have that for most of the awards. I have it for a couple of them because sometimes that's interesting. And this is the first time. So I will tell you right now, my top three is Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis in that order. But I I was dancing around putting Giannis second, and I've been dancing around how I want to do tiers here. So I'm interested in where you have this and kind of work through it a little bit. Yeah, I have that same top three. I actually don't think that Giannis is particularly close uh, to 
these guys. I mean, I, I think Giannis is the better player. But, you know, we just, John, and I just did top 10 players. And at some point, I want to get your thoughts on that and see where mm-hmm. you differ. But, you know, I, I definitely think Giannis is the better player than either of those two guys. These playoffs may force me to revise my opinion. We will see. But, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, we can get to Giannis if you have him third also of why. Well, but we, let's start. I mean, it's not close. But. We each have the same top two. Let's start with the top two. Exactly. Yeah. So. To me, it boils down to the Denver Nuggets are a better basketball team with Nikola Jokic on the floor than the Philadelphia 76ers are when Joel Embiid is on the floor. That's that's ultimately what it comes down to for me. I get all these narrative issues. I get the fact that Joel Embiid kicked Jokic's ass the one time that they played in Philadelphia and then Embiid didn't play in the other game. You know, I, I don't put a ton of stock in that, particularly when guys are in the opposite conference. Like, Darren Williams used to beat Chris Paul all the time. That didn't make Darren Williams a better player than Chris Paul. There's just something about one matchup against one guy. Uh, so I would say the Sixers have as much, if not more, talent around Joel Embiid than the Nuggets have around Jokic. And so, I, I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to. I mean, we can, at some point, we got to just give these guys top-line stats. But, uh, I mean, that's... A, what I can boil my rationale down to, and obviously we'll support that later. Did you have kind of a different conception of it? I had a very similar conception. And part of it for me, and this is kind of a big, big picture thing that I've been working on for the last week, which is I was kind of thinking about the difference between these two guys on defense. And an important distinction to make is that this is not best player. This is most valuable player for the 22-23 regular season. That is, those are the four walls. It, the other stuff to me, doesn't it doesn't really matter. And something with Jokic that really kind of as I started to think about it I was like okay you know like I was looking at the the defensive ratings of these two teams when Jokic and Joel Embiid are on the floor and they're in the same bulk the Sixers have been better the Sixers also benefited from massive shooting luck during Embiid's minutes overall but also well, as a team is the idea that and this is going to sound a little Doc Riversy, but I mean it in a kind of a different way Jokic's unbelievable offense being whether you want to say best or most valuable offensive player allows the Nuggets to play better defenders while still maintaining an elite, elite, elite offense. And so Jokic being as great as he is as a regular season player allows the Nuggets to address those things as best they can. And without, well, you know, there's still this ludicrous like 120, 125 offensive rating when Jokic is on the floor. And so does I do I think that is makes him more valuable, maybe slightly? I just think it's a, a distillation of what makes Jokic different is that, yes, you can play a Contavious Coldwell Pope. You can play an Aaron Gordon and you're not getting down to a league average offense. You're getting down to the be- one of the best offenses is in NBA history. Yeah, we got some more numbers to give on that in a second, but I actually thought this was pretty interesting. And even after Embiid had a great game yesterday and Jokic coming back for the injury struggled, on the season, just total plus minus, the Denver Nuggets have outscored their opponents by 645 points when Nikola Jokic is on the floor. The Sixers have, uh, that of course is number one in the NBA by over 100 points. And the other top two guys are Nuggets who play a ton with Jokic. The next guy after that is Derek White at 474. Oh, inappropriate. He's my number four. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, Embiid. 
very impressive. He's number eight in the NBA. He Sixers have outscored opponents by 435 points, but that's almost, I don't know, 40% more points over the course of the year that the Nuggets have outscored their opponents with Jokic on the floor than with Embiid on the floor. And it's not like there's a huge talent advantage for Jokic. No. I mean, no. There, there have been stretches where each of them have been shorthanded and stretches where each of them have been more flush. But like, I, if I had to say which team has had the better overall talent level, especially when you consider Michael Porter Jr. and some of those guys coming back from injuries over the course of the year, I would say Philly has the advantage. Yeah, I think so. And let's just give the top line, some of the top line numbers. Then I want to dig into a little bit of that, who they're playing with aspect, because I do think the numbers are pretty stark in favor of Jokic in terms of just what the team does when he's on the floor versus what the team does when Embiid's on the floor. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Sure, we can do that. So um, I'll use the numbers that when when Dan compiled them. Um, So it's a couple days old, but it's still pretty close. Um, When Jokic is on the floor, the Nuggets have a 124.8 offensive rating, which drops to a 101.9 when he sits. And I don't give a player too much credit for their backups being bad, but it is an indication of how important he is and that 124.8 is far more important that is a significantly stronger offensive rating than anyone we will discuss in the remainder of the list then on defense 111.5 net rating 113.6 when he's off the force so that means the defense actually gets worse that's a part of why things like raptor and epm really like him there and if we're talking kind of the bigger numbers one the one that stands out to me is Nikola Jokic is having the most efficient high volume scoring season in NBA history before this year the high watermark was Steph Curry, 67.5% true shooting on 31 usage back in the 17-18 season, not necessarily the Steph Curry season you'd expect. Jokic has 70.4% true shooting, albeit on a lower usage rate, but he makes that up with this ludicrous playmaking usage. So like, this is the high, this is the most efficient high volume scoring season. And it's not like he's a bad passer. He's arguably the best passer in the league. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And again, that on-court offensive rating, 124.8 for Jokic. There's nobody else that we're looking at in this MVP conversation whose team has an on-court offensive rating of even 120. That's insane. That is absolutely batshit insane. That's the highest number, essentially, that I can ever recall seeing. And that number, as we'll get to, is robust. Basically, whoever he's playing with, uh, you have to basically take every single other good player they have off the floor, and then they get into like 115, but that's you know, 300 possessions, so not really enough of a of a sample even. And then on defense, uh, Joel, certainly a better defensive player in fact i have joel above Nikola Jokic in my top 10 players in the NBA, mostly due to that defense. Uh, But if you look at it in a regular season standpoint, again, I don't think that the Nuggets have that much better of defensive talent than the Sixers do around Jokic. On-court defensive rating, 111.5 for Jokic, 110 for Embiid. So yeah, 1.5 points better for Embiid, but that doesn't make up for the six-point gap on offense and then on court overall net rating 13.3 Jokic 8.9 Embiid and Embiid that 8.9 in a year when we don't really have any great teams is second among MVP candidates he's now eclipsed Jason Tatum for that but again like Jokic on court off uh, on court net rating over four points per 100 better than any other MVP candidate 
Yeah, it's really impressive. Um, so I, maybe this is a good time. I did some research because actually that off-court number, right? 101.9 offensive rating for the Nuggets when Jokic is on. T- differential of 23 offense when Jokic is on the floor versus off. That number and that difference is so stark. For By the way, the number for that with Embiid is he's plus 6.5. They're 189 on, 112.4 off. And I was like, well, you know, Jokic, they don't really stagger as much with Nikola Jokic, right? Like the Mike Malone likes his all bench units. And by contrast, Doc Rivers, who was once derided for not staggering, does stagger James Harden and Joel Embiid. And oftentimes even he'll go with the what Bodner calls the kitchen sink group of all their good players starting the second and fourth quarter without Joel Embiid. So I wanted to say, okay, maybe the reason the Nuggets are so good when Jokic is on and so bad when he's off is just that all of their good players play with Jokic and then they just all sit and it's an all bench group every time that he's off the floor so i wanted to make sure that that number wasn't being juiced by the way the rotations are going and so i looked at nikola Jokic, his numbers and Embiid's numbers in various combinations so nikola Jokic on the floor jamal murray off the floor and again small sample size shooting luck all this applies so you know don't go crazy with these numbers but i just wanted to make sure there wasn't something that was just like really screwy in this where the way mike bullen is running his rotations versus doc rivers were like really helping Jokic Jokic in this number because it is a very stark difference. Jokic on Jamal Murray off. Ah. And now this is going to be per cleaning the glass. So these numbers are, you know, probably maybe two points for 100 higher than what you get with NBA.com. So do that adjustment in your head. But Jokic on Jamal Murray off at ah, 127 offensive rating. Uh, Jokic on Jamal Murray and Michael Porter off the floor. They're two best offense. They're probably their only other two good offensive players, frankly. Still plus 10.3 net rating, 120 offensive rating. Still, you know, better than the Sixers overall number with Embiid on the floor. Nikola Jokic on the floor, Aaron Gordon off the floor, who he's really tethered with a lot, plus 7.9 net rating, 122 offensive rating. If you take all three of their other best players off the floor, that's only 304 possessions. They're still plus 4.2 and a 115 offensive rating. Again, a pretty small sample, 304 possessions. That's basically three games worth. By contrast, Embiid's numbers not affected as much by, or I shouldn't say as much, like his numbers are relatively consistent throughout the combination so Embiid on the floor Harden off plus 8.8 that's basically about the same as where they are with Harden on and uh, 118 offense 109 defense so that's pretty good Embiid uh, pretty resilient when Harden is off the floor there's that period that Harden missed and then you know obviously there's the staggering as well also worth noting though that you're able to go against bench units more the the way that they kind of stagger it you know Jokic usually doesn't play the full first quarter whereas Embiid will do that sometimes so that opposition matters some too. And then Embiid, no Harden and no Tyrese Maxey. Then things really drop off. They're a plus 4.4 net rating, 112 offense, 108 defense. Um, a big part early in the season was Jokic having played more minutes than Embiid. That's pretty much equal now at this point. Jokic is probably going to finish with three more games played and within about 60 minutes or so of Embiid. So that's that's not really part of this anymore. And thank goodness. <laughs> 
because like I mean they're they're both wonderful players, but like I it, it's kind of a cop out to to me to go to go in that direction. And I think one just kind of big picture thing that's useful is that using Seth's total usage, Joel Embiid and Jokic have very like Jokic has a larger role within their team's offense, but it's actually relatively close. Like it's because it's the trade off of playmaking usage versus scoring usage, and like that that's I think it's an interesting way to think about these two. But then Jokic being a more effective individual scorer and of course a vastly superior passer um even though Embiid's getting to the line 11.8 times per game which is jaw-dropping like that's just that's really really impressive um one other thing I want to throw and I really like that information in terms of the splits and I think this ties into is so you brought up how that the group with Embiid on and and Harden maxi off like that group is pretty limited offensively and they had this great defense and Phillies overall their defense with Embiid on the floor has been I'd say it's been a little bit better than I, I anticipated. And one thing that's kind of striking, though, so, so you have a positive and a negative with Embiid's defense I think are worth a little bit of time. One is, um, we'll start with the positive, and that's Joel Embiid is contesting an absolute ton of shots. You know, the coverage that they play, but also he's very good at that. And so, like, as Dan was putting together the Defensive Player of the Year stats, Joel Embiid contests the second most shots, a proportion of opponent shots around the basket of anyone, of anyone that was in that compilation. So that gives you an idea he's around the basket a lot. However, and we know these can be noisy or whatever, but it is for this year. He hasn't been as effective of a rib, as a rib projector as an as an active one. And so opponents are shooting about six, converting about sixty one percent of the shots he contested the basket, sixty four percent overall when Embiid is in the game at the restricted area, and that's better than the Nuggets with Jokic. But it then it reminded me of this thing that I brought up a couple times, which is that part of the reason why Philly's defense has been has been strong this year is opponent shooting luck, and I I want to be very wary of giving a player credit for that, just like I don't want to give Jokic credit for Malone not staggering his teammates and having these shitty bench units. So like, I think those things all fit together a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's not crazy. Opponents are shooting 35% from three in Embiid's minutes, and, and the Sixers are 4.1 per 100 better when Embiid is on the floor. That's a, a pretty good number. That's uh, up there with like Rudy Gobert, Brooke Lopez in that range not quite an elite number but still very good I, I mean I think Joel his transition defense is not great I think Jokic is actually maybe having a worse defensive season as well but yeah again it doesn't show up a ton in the overall numbers during the regular season obviously Joel Embiid is a better defensive player than Jokic I, absolutely I, I think you know and then again we, we this is another thing we can talk about too which we haven't hit yet some of the advanced stats that we like to look at EPM which I, I think is probably the best to me uh, Jokic is 8.3 EPM, 8.1 on offense, 0.2 on defense. That's bad for a center. Uh, but uh, And then Embiid, 5.9 on offense, uh, 1.3 on defense. So overall, 7.2. Uh, Jokic leads in their EPM win stats, 17.3 to 15.3. Both of those are crazy numbers. When you look at Raptor, Raptor loves Jokic's defense. I've always thought that that's just pretty fanciful. Uh, but Raptor also has Jokic at 10 on offense and Embiid at a four. Uh, so, and Jokic as uh, all of these have Jokic as the best or tied for the best offensive player in the NBA, which he needs to be given where his defense is at, I think, to, to win this conversation. Um, one other thing I looked at here was clutch performance. If this is close enough, Denver uh, per Seth's stats, he he adjusts for where a team is entering the clutch. Right, if you're down five versus up five, your win expectancy in the clutch is much different. Denver three point eight clutch wins over expectation this season. 
Philly is two and Milwaukee is 1.7. Their clutch numbers are both amazing this season though. Joel, 31 net rating in the clutch, 115 on offense, 118 on defense, 64% true shooting, 37 usage, uh, assisting on 29% of the team's buckets, which I thought was actually pretty Mm -hmm. impressive, at least the ones that he's not scoring himself. Jokic, 65% true shooting, 30 usage, so he bumps that up in the clutch, assisting on 42% of Denver's buckets, and he's really way behind Joel's 31 net rating with a 27 net rating of his own. So I think that's close enough that I don't think the clutch is going to push it either way, and that would have been a a tiebreaker if it was just like too close to call, which I don't think this quite is. I I think Jokic, to me, with everything that we look at, has an advantage. So I think the key question that I want to ask you is, I have have Jokic and and Embiid in the same tier. Do you think that, is is there a reasonable, is the argument reasonable enough that you you would accept the choice the other way, or for you is it Jokic Jokic one and to clearly yeah i think i think it's pretty clear that it's still Jokic to me and i I will i acknowledge some of these narrative reasons like to me nikola Jokic, i still all of these years that he's winning mvp i haven't had him as a top five player in the league and as amazing as he is a historic force offensively you know you guys know what i think about his defense and particularly in a playoff setting and that's why i don't have him as an absolute top player in the league and when you look at hey this is going to be his third straight mvp it's like yeah it does gall me like he's not on the level of the guys who have won at least not yet you know maybe maybe they'll win the championship this year and th- then you feel better about it but no he's not on that level at least as of right now to me and i'm not sure if he can get there um and in some ways he's unlucky to play in this era where his defense is much more exposed than it would have been in the past but that aspect, the fact that Embiid, you know, Embiid has just more like kind of detonations, like he just feels more unstoppable to people like that. You, like, you, you have days like time. Tuesday, which right, I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm sure it will be invoked a fair amount of times by voters of like, you know, he had dominant performance leads the team over, in a win over Boston at the same time that a recovering from injury, Jokic. Um, and the Nuggets lose to the Houston Rockets in Houston by 21. I'm sure that will come up. And like, I, I understand, I'm sympathetic to the idea of like the, the player who has been in the mix so many times and, and what, like that 20 years from now we look at it and he has none, but I'm also not as sympathetic to that as I am. Every single time you hear an argument like that, it's an argument that that person isn't the actual deserving winner. And it leads to a bad choice being made. Like there, when you look back at the MVP, choices that look to be quote-unquote wrong they're all narrative choices like they're they're this sort of like lifetime achievement they're those sorts of things it's not necessarily like there was a misevaluation usually there wasn't a misevaluation there was just an apportionment issue i guess yeah now now i'll be clear this isn't one of those ones where like you're taking a vastly inferior player like again i have joel ranked above Jokic. it was very close obviously in top 10 players and i think it's very possible you and i had a long debate about this of joe whether uh joel or Jokic is the the better playoff player a couple of weeks ago so this isn't one of those oh joel is undeserving no he's certainly playing at an mvp level i would say the same uh, about Giannis, uh although obviously with stat inflation that that matters but but i mean it's still for nikola Jokic to be pushing his team to plus 13 points in this season where 
there just hasn't been a dominant team. Like the Denver Nuggets are a dominant team, like historically dominant when Nikola Jokic is on the floor. That plus 13 is a number that will stack up against the best MVP candidates in previous years. And for Joel, plus nine, I mean, that's good. It's the best of the rest, but that's that's not like dominant. Like the the Nuggets didn't win 60 games this year because their bench was terrible. So uh, let's see if I had anything else there. Yeah, so, so you have Giannis in this group. I would like to hear your argument of why he is at the same level, because I really struggled to find a statistical argument in his favor. It's actually, in a weird way, a parallel, but kind of a worse version of the Jokic argument. So I ended up, I have Giannis in a tier below. Um, I'll, I'll work oh, okay. a little bit. I ended up, I ended up I, uh, that's why I said I wanted to hear input, because I had him third, and I wasn't really going to move him off a third. But so, but part of the problem for me is squaring up the like best player versus MVP thing. Because so like, I was, I struggled with how to how to deal with context. Okay, so here's the way I want to describe it. Giannis Antetokounmpo this year, his total usage, that Seth's version of the stat, is 52.9. That is significantly higher than both Jokic and Embiid. And I think you and I would both agree that Giannis is ill-served by that. Like, that is a... They, he has been overextended offensively. Yeah, due and, to, and I think that's bled possibly into his defense as well, I think, which I don't I think, think, it think has, has been at the same level. And so, and so the idea is basically this. He that makes him less efficient because individually because he has yeah. to take well, more shots. Well, also not being able to make a jump shot makes also you less also efficient. suboptimal. And you know, and the, the weird the weird vagaries that have happened at times with him with his free throw shooting too. So, but here's here's the here's the rub. And I think this is it's a it's an argument that I haven't heard as much though. Of course, my ear has not been on this discourse as much recently. Is you know the reason why that happened because that was the only way the Bucks were going to stay afloat. And you look at that when you see the you see the role of like Giannis and then. When he's off the floor, the Bucks' offensive rating has gone off a cliff. They're a 108.6. 108.6 offensive rating. When he's off the floor, that is that is better, of course, because it's better than everyone's better than the Nuggets without Jokic. But like that's worse than OKC without Shea Gildas Alexander, for example. And the that's worse than the Celtics without Tatum. That's worse than um the Clipper than the Clippers without Paul George. There are a lot of weird things there. So like the idea is basically Giannis has not been able to put his best foot forward, but the reason why is because it was the only way to make his team work. They didn't have somebody else who could sop up that usage because especially with Middleton being out and Drew Holiday, who I love, just not really that type of player. And the way, I mean, at times when Joe Ingles has been available, but remember he missed the whole like first two thirds of the season with his ACL tear and Cotton's missed a bunch of time, but he doesn't really handle the ball. And Giannis is also, even though it has been a step down for him defensively, he is still the best defender of this trio. And like he has, he has been the best defender of this trio to me this year. And you could see it and you could see it in a lot of the stats as well. And I agree with you. It's below his standard. I do not have Giannis figuring prominently in the defensive player of the year candidates, though I do still think of him as one of the best defenders in the league. He just hasn't had one of the best defensive seasons. And yeah, I mean, so, Giannis, Giannis is averaging less than a block a game. Yeah. Which is that was that was like a little disturbing to me when I when mm-hmm. I saw that. But I, I, I think he'll be able to ramp yeah, and, it up. And in the, the but the overall I think the overall rim protection kind of stuff last time I looked at it was still, you know, like reasonably good. So according to Seth's stats, Giannis is the he's the number six 
uh, player in rim protection wins this season. Some of that might be the positional adjustment because he's he's more of a four than a lot of these guys are. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, players are opponents are shooting fifty five point six percent on shots he contests around the basket. That is significantly better than Embiid. Um, they're not taking as many, and that I believe that's even true when Lopez is off the floor. Like that, you have some of those some of those elements in play. And so for me with with Giannis, and that's part of why Giannis to me had clearly separated from the other people on this list is that the biggest thing that he's done wrong is doing too much but the only reason he's doing too much other than some of these bad pull-up jump shots is because that's what he kind of had to do so i think that makes him not better than the other two so i ended up putting him in a tier kind of below them but also i i wanted to acknowledge the circumstances that led to it yeah now i will note that for Giannis played fewer games than Jokic and yes. Jokic at 67 and beat 64 Giannis 62 but then he's also 32 minutes a game so that that I mean I know he's had this crazy load and that's part of why maybe they had to hold his minutes out but th- that matters that he's not out there as much uh, on a game-to-game basis and you know the Bucks are plus 6.9 when Giannis is on the floor and they're negative 0.7 when he's off so that's a that's a good number but it's not close to Embiid or Jokic obviously and in the advanced stats that we look at EPM 6.4 so that's Joel is 7.2 Jokic is 8.3 uh you know Raptor kind of say pretty similar distribution there so they're just and then Giannis you know he's been a little bit above league average in true shooting this year like that's not that great uh, as well either so it just hasn't been quite at the level really in any metric that you look at to compare to Jokic and Embiid I mean Giannis's argument is the Milwaukee Bucks are going to have the best record in the NBA part of that is because they've really overperformed their point differential by quite a bit and they still you know just haven't been as good as and I would say at times this year the Bucks have had less talent certainly less offensive talent I wouldn't say less defensive talent like Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday yeah, have played basically the whole season so like their defense has been you know they probably got the first or second best defensive talent in the league uh and that's of course has been a big part of their success so yeah I mean I, I have Giannis third but if it's like oh well the Bucks have the best record he's the best player you know he won a championship in 21 like those those aren't compelling arguments certainly not enough to when Jokic and Embiid have basically everything else in their favor this year it's also more persuasive for best player in the league rather than most valuable player like they're just they're they're two different conversations and and Giannis I I still believe in a lot of what he does and how he has to fit in but when he gets over like he's not scalable in the way that these other two guys are and that's part of the reason they've been better this regular season is that they've been able to do that they have done it's been successful and and Giannis is not and I I still would you know I I didn't do a full breakdown like you and John did, but like I have Giannis above them in in Player of the Year, and that's a, a different conversation. Or, or you know, yeah, it, top ten players. Player, top yeah. man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015, and I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found 
found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us let's so finish I'm, up the ballot here real quickly yeah. i don't think we need to spend too much time on four and five i don't want to spend a ton of time on it but i think my number four i again i haven't been around the discourse too much my number four is shake gildas alexander yeah he i mean we'll talk about him more probably in the all nba guard but sure yeah i mean that's that's pretty reasonable i would still go with jason tatum there he, he's my five yeah same um, tier all that i, I mean it really like i think shay has a pretty good argument versus luca but they've played about the same number of minutes and i, I think luca still is is just a little bit better than shay gilgis alexander i realize that the narrative around luca is not great right now i'm not even sure that i expect luca to be in the top five on most people's doubts but you know the first two-thirds of the year did happen it's <laughs> so, oh yeah and i, I mean uh, i have luca in the same tier as well it's just that the the list stops at five but he's still in this group as well um for shea i'll say part of why i had gildas alexander over tatum is the surrounding talent it's 
um, you know, like he has a larger it's so so it's harder to be as efficient offensively. But I mean, they do play a spacing five, but we're talking overall like the, the what what he has to do. And Julius Alexander, 63 percent true shooting on a larger role within his team's offense. So Gilgis Alexander is at 46% total usage and Jason Tatum is at 42.9. Like that, that's, it's not a huge difference, but it is sizable. And um, Tatum, I I think of Tatum as a better defender, but part of the reason that I had Shea over Luca again, within the same tier is, and this is amazing when you consider where Gilgis Alexander was a couple years ago is I, not only do I think Shea has been better defensively, I think that difference has mattered. I think that it, OKC is being, better than Dallas defensively is intriguing and I don't think that either of these guys is the reason that's the case but I do think that Gildas Alexander not only being better but buying in like you think of those ripple effects there was a time that I was going to argue this for Kevin Durant in the MVP conversation unfortunately Kevin Durant didn't play enough to be in it but the idea that tone setting being a star that it has all these other effects on your team and I value that with Shea. Yeah I think uh, the biggest thing for uh, that I think knocks it out for tatum there's a couple of things i would add 119 offensive rating when he's on the floor drops to a 109 sure when he's off and this is not a talentless team without him by any means and then he is tops in both minutes per game and games played among anybody in the mvp conversation played 300 more minutes than basically any of these other candidates as well um so 37 minutes per game nobody else is over 37 here lucas at uh 36 and a half is second and again 72 games played so tops in games tops in minutes tops in minutes per game uh that that's a big big driver for this if there if there was a tie that needs to be broken i think that is what does it um so i have luke at five tatum at four you got shea and then tatum yeah. And Luca's within this tier. And then I struggled with whether I would formally put Damian Lillard in this group because he played at this level when he was available, but he has also played less than these competitors now. Well, I'm very excited to get to all NBA guard, but let's hold off on that. Let's do center first. Jokic first team and Bede second team. Yes. And again, it's, you know, I, I, I shift this a little bit. It becomes more most outstanding, but minutes played was not a determining factor between these two in the first place. And then my number three is Anthony Davis. Um, full apologies and consideration to DeMontis Bonus and Kristaps Porzingis, both of whom have had wonderful seasons, but AD has, to me, been better than them. I mean, he's a wonderful defensive player who has also, you know, put it on at times offensively. And I, I think he's been the best of those three. Yeah, I would throw Brooke Lopez and Bam Adebayo into the apologies as well. But Anthony Davis, by far the highest of this group in EPM, 3.5 on offense, 2.4 on defense. Yes, he has played 52 games and 1,700 minutes. DeMontis Sabonis has played 76 games and 2,600 minutes. Unfortunately, AD actually is basically the same in offensive estimated plus minus 3.5 to 3.6. And he's a plus 2.4 on defense. Sabonis, again, this is awful for a center, which is a defensive position, negative 1.3. So Anthony Davis, despite playing 52 games compared to 76 for Sabonis, actually leads in the estimated win stat uh, that EPM puts out there. Uh, 
And, but you know, but he does yeah. trail another candidate in this in and estimated that's Porzingis, wins. Yeah. And that's Porzingis. Like Porzingis, the advanced stats absolutely love what he has done. So it's worth acknowledging that basically a plus four on offense and plus one point two on defense. So that is that's very strong overall. Um, sixty three percent true shooting on thirty three point eight total usage. If you want the basketball reference version of the stat, it is twenty seven point five. That scoring usage is about the same as Jokic, which is pretty pretty incredible. And um, or sorry. Sorry, basketball reference usage scoring usage is actually higher for Porzingis and um he's been you know he's, he's done well defensively overall I think that that plus 1.2 is it's in the realm of, of what I would say is reasonable but Davis has been better overall and yeah um, and Eddie's just he's just better than these guys too I yeah, mean, I mean it's it's and I think particularly like he is inconsistent you know that's a concern but the way that he is kept this team afloat with the a lot of the injuries they've had when he has been available i think i think has been huge like i don't think it's clear to put him above porzingis or Sabonis. i mean porzingis to me i, I mean i realize they're shutting him down now thank god like ted leonsis actually has found tanking religion now all it took was uh, a guy uh tip dunking his own step back three-pointer to to finally <laughs> get uh get ted leonsis to turn off the ignition but uh so i, I still think porzingis has had a woefully underrated season um but yeah i I think ad is the call for me on third team center do you want to go to guards or do you want to go to forwards let's do forwards this one this is the year i mean i I don't i'm not saying that my philosophy is like perfectly consistent from year to year but particularly on the forward line and this has been a, a talking point even earlier in the season and then a couple of guys in particular have been able to come back and add to their ledger at least a little bit here but this has been i basically adopted your philosophy yeah for these guys because there's just i mean there's the, the six best forwards in the nba and then there's everyone else and i didn't find the games played slash minutes argument compelling enough to elevate any of these guys below those top six guys. I agree. It's Of course, it's been my philosophy for a lot longer, but it's basically, to me, it's the idea of like, when you're telling the story of the season, which which we inevitably do, and, and over time, parts of this will be lost. That's the way it goes. It's it's who looms largest, who, who does that? And, and and for me, those are those are the best players. So what I ended up with my uh, top my top team is Giannis and Kevin Durant. I think you can make a credible argument that you know if, if in, in the portions of the season they played, I think they've been the two best forwards in the league. KD, of course, didn't play enough to be in the MVP conversation, but that's not what this is. And hopefully, also like I mean, again, and I I don't I don't need to go on my rants about the games played thing and the new CBA and all that yet. But like that's not what this is. And Durant, when he played on the Nets, was hugely valuable for them when he's you know the, obviously the Suns have been very successful when he's been available and so to me KD has been better there are, there are some good candidates this year of the of the best guys but he you know that's the one and two yeah I, I had t- Tatum I mean that's the one like I mean those top six guys to me just so we have it here Tatum Giannis Kawhi KD Jimmy Butler LeBron James yep and my six but I had Tatum on the first team because That's I, totally I think, fair. you know, I, I will say maybe KD was a little bit better. But now we're talking about 45 games versus 72 and over a thousand more minutes just about for Tatum. Like that's that was a little bit tough for me to get around. Right? I think it's been close enough that I was willing to, to elevate Tatum. And yeah, so Tatum Giannis is my first team. 
Kawhi KD is my second team and Butler LeBron is my third team I think some people let's talk about just within those six guys and then we can kind of maybe compare them to some of the other guys in this conversation that I don't think either of us had at this level I ended up so basically our our really our only difference is that I had I had Tatum second team and KD because I have Kawhi as my other second team guy and then Butler and LeBron on the third team and like so why is Butler not second team to you it wasn't for me either i think that's probably something that because if you do that's one of those ones where if you do look at all the advanced stats that we normally talk about at least at least maybe not all of them but at least the you know epm and raptor you know butler is probably should be on the first team definitely could be he's tied for he's tied for tops in overall epm he and Kawhi, incidentally are, are tied there and um yeah, he's above Giannis in he EPM is, wins and, and actually Giannis. in EPM. Yeah, uh, yeah, both of those. Yeah, and um, and a part of that is because the Miami Heat offense has fallen off an absolute cliff when Jimmy Butler is unavailable. Um, they're one oh six six, but but it's not. It, it's fallen off a cliff, but like it wasn't on the, a high cliff, and that's yeah, and that's yeah, the reason why exactly, I have Kawhi over, exactly. One of the big reasons I have Kawhi over Jimmy Butler in the first place is that Jimmy Butler is elevating them, but I give value to ele- to where you elevate them to as well, and the the. Clippers have been have been very good offensively when Kawhi Leonard's been on the floor, and they're very different offensive players. But they're, the overall offensive impact with Butler and Kawhi is actually very similar. They have relatively equal roles in total usage. Their true shootings are within two percent of each other. Um, but I, I, I think of it overall like. Yeah. To me, the Clippers, you, you, yes, the, the, part of the story here is that the Miami Heat haven't played up to what I thought was their talent level. The the thing about their high volume shooters just not making any shots this year. The Clippers have been a plus six point four team when Kawhi Leonard's been on the floor, and the Heat are about a plus one. Like that matters at least a little bit to me. I mean, sure. I think they're they're, they're these guys are comparable, but like if I'm choosing who had the better year, like I don't think Miami's talent is so much worse than this Clippers team. Especially no, no when, I wouldn't say so. In fact, with Butler off the floor, Miami. Is- is better than the Clippers are right, and so I, I think that it's a it's a kind of a it's a signal. It's 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 something that you can look at look at there. And so Jimmy Butler is one hell of a basketball player. He could have an unbelievable playoffs, but it's it's also like the things that that derailed the Heat this year are things that potentially could be more under Jimmy Butler's purview than player availability, which was the biggest thing for the Clippers. Where like the Heat are going to be in the conversation for my most disappointing teams this year. And and it wasn't, and the reason why they're in that instead of some other teams is not like they were really unhealthy. They were missing some dudes and some stuff. And so I don't say that's a huge factor. I still have Jimmy Butler as an all NBA player, and there are some other really good talents that we'll talk about. But I, I saw him as below Kawhi. Yeah, I mean, in that offensive rating, that on-court offensive rating for Butler is the, that 114. I mean, that's basically the worst of all these forward candidates. And you might say, well, it's not his fault. Their, their shooters aren't making shots. Jimmy Butler plays a position where you're supposed to get shooting, but he doesn't shoot. And so that leaves them more vulnerable to everyone else not making shots. And you also think, well, hey, you know, and this is something that came up when John and I were talking too. You're on almost any team, and particularly on this one, you're going to play a non-shooting center with Jimmy Butler. And Butler, you know, he cuts, he offensive rebounds, like does, does some good things. But he also, he's not quite as ball dominant as some of these other guys to where it he it doesn't matter that he doesn't shoot it, right? Like Shea Gildas-Alexander has a pretty low three-point attempt rate for 36. It's like two or something, very low. But he's got the ball all the time and he's attacking all the time. And so it doesn't matter as much that he doesn't shoot. Jimmy Butler, lower total usage than a lot of these guys. So I just think with Jimmy Butler, yeah, he's been incredibly important to the Heat.
compete with the success that they have had but i do think that his style of play puts a limit uh, at that position at the three puts a limit on how good your offense could be because you're always going to have two non-shooters on the floor as much credit and then also like he's he's not the guy who's going to just set up every single play for you and like elevate you that way necessarily so yeah that that's why i ended up moving butler down a little bit i mean when you're just your team is a plus one with you on the floor like you're there's only so good you can be at that point and i you know again i wouldn't say that like the clippers in theory have more depth than Miami. like i don't know that the clippers with uh, particularly if paul george isn't available which he hasn't been for a, a reasonable amount of time here like they don't have that much worse a talent or better a talent than miami i would say like a lot of these guys are disappointed then just just so we have some of the games played here let's just go through all the games and minutes here for i, I guess these the guys lebron kd butler and Kawhi. just just so we have it here so people know kind of how how we're weighting the performance versus availability so as as dan compiled it um which is a couple days ago i think butler 62 games about 2100 minutes played Kawhi 49 games 1600 minutes played durant 45 games 1600 minutes played Giannis 62 games 2000 minutes played lebron 51 games 1800 minutes played tatum 72 games 2700 minutes played so uh, and then if you but if you get into some of these numbers like there's a few guys who like if you go to like the estimated wins for estimated plus minus who are like just barely into the double digits in the same fashion like kd is right at 10 Kawhi is 11 butler 14 so an estimated wins is basically just like you take epm and multiply it by minutes played essentially uh and so the the other guys are pretty close like the only guy who's really way above that range i shouldn't even say way above is marking in at 12 randall has played a billion minutes uh he's gonna finish with 77 games and 2700 minutes uh you know he he's at 11.7 uh even though then it, but if that if that number in terms of the estimated wins is close i'll take the guy who's just been better uh, on a per play basis and just for posterity that i just know is the better player so it's it's close i think if you just look at hey what is the total value you've provided but i think to me the guys like and Kawhi, KD, Butler, and LeBron have just been so good this year that it really does make up for it statistically. The fact they only played as as few as forty five games compared to seventy, but for some of these guys, well, and just conceptual, if you want to think about it this way, you know, you talked about estimated wins is the kind of the EPM over the minutes played. You don't play four on five in the minutes when Kawhi and those guys are available. Now you're playing an inferior player, but you're not playing a zero player, and so like that. The I would rather have the guy. Who well, spends- it depends on the team depends on the team but <laughs> but yeah i want i want to give acknowledgement here larry markinen has had a wonderful season uh 64 true shooting on 31 total usage you will hear plenty of praise for him and other categories moving forward 39 percent on threes and then jaron jackson jr will be in the defensive player of the year conversation and while he has a much 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 smaller role within his team's offense he has been efficient there he has of course been a very effective defensive player and then yeah you could mention guys like randall and like maybe paul george but uh, like i saw yeah, the top if- Paul George could have played 70 games, I might have had oh. him break into this group and, and since we didn't get to get to it as explicitly the reason i have lebron james here is the role within his team's offense like i mean lebron has to do more than a lot of the, the non the the lower guys and he's done it relatively well like you know the idea that he's total usage 49 percent we're talking with Markinen at 31 percent and jaron at 27 and like yeah lebron isn't a perfect defender you know who else isn't Lowry Markinen isn't and he's had to do a lot and he's missed some time but again 
and he's been he's yeah. been more impactful for his team's success when he has played, and that matters to me. Yeah, I would say LeBron to me might even be you know he's kind of more at the like I think Kawhi and KD have been better than LeBron and Butler this year, and if LeBron wasn't able to return for this last stretch, I might have looked to elevate someone else instead of him. But I think this is that's been pretty key to his candidacy and when he is available he does play a lot he does play 36 minutes a game so he's not really that far behind some of the other guys here right like uh, even though he's played fewer games um you know zion again if he could have played more maybe he would have got into this but he's gonna finish the year probably with under a thousand minutes um few other guys i just want to shout out is like you know being kind of in this next group randall we mentioned jalen brown Draymond green has had a woefully underrated season we'll talk more about that in a little bit here um jaron jackson jr he's another guy who actually if he had played you know 75 games and over 30 minutes a game this year or 72 games over 30 minutes a game i might have considered bumping him up uh, as well into this but he, he didn't really have that argument and you know i don't think he's been better than any of these guys so uh, a lot of a lot of good players at the forward position this year uh, many guys who i felt you know were playing at a third team on ba type of level in past years but uh lebron leonard kd and butler like played just enough and they're just a level above to me i ended up seeing the guard spots as being kind of like a top four and then the next group beyond them and so yep, uh, those yep. four guys it in no particular order shea gildas alexander luka Doncic, we talked about in the mvp conversation and then damian lillard and stephen curry we did not as much because they didn't play enough and so do you you have them as your top four i i'm totally fine with any order with them i ended up with lillard and shea as my top as my first team because i think lillard has been the best offensive guard in the league when he's been available so again the yeah. available. Can, can you take take us through Lillard's statistical case here in case people have forgotten from last time absolutely um Lillard not only is it the 50% total usage, which is on the higher side, not Luca's level, but that, but 64.5% true shooting, 37% on 11 threes per 36 minutes. But the Portland Trailblazers, remember, this is the Portland Trailblazers, have a 119.5 offensive rating when Lillard is on the floor. That is commensurate with the Sixers with Harden on the floor, and they have Joel Embiid, and the Suns with Devin Booker on the floor. Now, Booker hasn't played a ton with KD, but like, they're, like elevating this Blazers team to one of the best offenses in the league when you're out there, and then they fall off the cliff of cliffs. Yeah, when and, you- and by the way, that hasn't really been impacted too much by the tanking. Like, it, I mean, the even back when Simons was healthy, when Lillard was playing, they were, I think, like a 106 with him off the floor. So it, that hasn't really even dropped that much in this crazy tanking era that they've had. So, yeah, so I, th- I think Lillard, the argument, and if you want to consult with the big stat, like the all-in-one stats, EPM and and Raptor both have him as the best offensive guard. So, I, I you know, if yeah, you, if tied you want- with Jokic in EPM. Correct. An offensive EPM. And yeah. and so thank you. I think the the there and then so like for me Lillard is number kind of number one in this group of largely equals. And then I I kind of went with Shea over Luca and and Steph for similar reasons to what I said in the MVP. I think he's been in a similar level of overall player, but I think he has weaker surrounding talent. I think that he is you know Gilgis Alexander has had he's added some real heavy lifting to do, has done it very well, and they're all wonderful players. And like the weird thing that the Warriors haven't been consistent or consistent 
consistently good, even when Steph Curry has been available. Like he's Curry's having a very good year, but like I did factor that a little bit, and that's a part of why he's you know like that. I said that a little bit for Luca with the defensive part of it. It's like they haven't been as good necessarily when those guys have been on as I would have liked. So you know, second team is not a huge demerit. Yeah, I think for the Warriors' offense with Steph on the floor, one seventeen just hasn't been quite as dominant as some of these other seasons that he's had or even you know looking at the Blazers for example with Lillard they're a little bit below the Mavs with Doncic as well and I probably would say Steph still would be my second best guy on a per play basis but now we're talking about him having played over 10 fewer games than Luke Luca or Shea and it's close enough that that would that could be a tiebreaker for me so I went with Lillard and Doncic on my first team Shea and Curry on my second team again I wouldn't be particularly aggrieved if there were a different order there and then you get into the third team and in the end Danny as much as we've struggled with this throughout the season I actually found this a relatively easy decision in the end for third team I agree for the most part like I mean as much as I had noted before that I could see James Harden getting there with a strong close to the season. I don't think it's been all the way. You know, I, I, I think he deserves consideration. He deserves praise. And then the other guy who I didn't put in my final group, but who deserve, I mean, while he praise on him in other places too, is De'Aaron Fox. And like, I wouldn't be shocked if De'Aaron Fox gets 13 all NBA. I would have very little opposition to it. But if I'm looking at, and, and the clutch stats, and you do value that and everything else, but I ended up going with Tyrese Halberton and Devin Booker over him. Ah, that's very interesting. A so, little bit. I, I dropped Halliburton down because he basically just hasn't played after the All-Star break. And, uh, you know, he's probably the guy on a per-play basis who maybe could get in here. I, I downgraded him just a little bit because this kind of wasn't a real season in Indiana. And I think their approach after the All-Star break has I See, see I disagree. That. I think it was a real season for the first half of the year. And that's when he played. And that's when they were, like, competitive and good. Um but I yeah, I, I mean, I, I had Donovan Mitchell. I had Booker and, oh, that's and Mitchell too. in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know the on-off stats with between or the on stats offensively between Halliburton and Mitchell are within a point of one another. And I think Donovan Mitchell, Cavs. This was a, a set that wasn't that kind to Mitchell early in the season, but now it's actually gotten a lot better. Is actually are now five points per one hundred better when he plays. He does play with another guard, so to bump that number up a little bit when he's off the floor. But then. They have no other good offensive players other than Darius Garland, I would say. And, you know, Evan Mobley does some nice things. Like, Jared Allen does some nice things, but those are deep. I guess, like, you could say Jared Allen maybe isn't a slightly above average offensive He's above average for his position, but below average relative to, like, all starters. Yeah, no, that that's fair. So and, and but then the fit of those guys, like they basically for a lot of the season have had no shooting at the three, four, and five. And so for them to be right now seventh on offense, and I think Mitchell has also actually really improved his defense this year. He's not now he does play the two as compared to some of these other guys playing the one, although he's played some one for them as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, they had they only have two yeah. creators, so sometimes you're you're, you're battling through that. Um, yeah. I'll briefly say here here's the argument for me with Halburton. The overall like in the time that they've played, the Pacers' offense has been roughly in line with the 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 Cavs. And I will mention this was one of the core choices I made too was was um, Halburton over Mitchell. But Halburton has a larger role within his team's offense, and as much as you brought up the flaws of the, of the Cavs 
Cavs, and those are fair. It's not like the Pacers talent has it significantly figured out I, instead. Actually, like, can, can I? They have I think space. I actually, yeah, I actually kind of maybe like the Pacers' offensive talent around Halliburton more than the Cavs around Mitchell. Maybe, um, but I, I want also want to give Halliburton credit for uh, the way that they've executed in transition, like being that force there, and and it is more him. But yeah, I mean, having healed, like the the complementary pieces make more sense if all you're prioritizing is offense. Um, yeah, well, so so here's what. I, I, a couple of things that I what I mean it's like not a real season like you know Tyrese Halliburton even when they're trying to win you know he's playing like 33 minutes a game a lot of times like like they're kind of just like as ah, the development season yeah you guys are playing well if we're close at the end of the game we'll try to win it uh, but the, they just have they haven't pushed like it hasn't they weren't being taken seriously at the start of the year I would say either and now if Tyrese Halliburton had played the same amount as Donovan Mitchell I think there's a decent argument that they've been about the same this year in terms of their impact but then when you throw in that Mitchell has played over 500 more minutes that he's played 67 games to yeah 56 you know what for Halliburton you've convinced me because the the idea that so I had them as fatherhood has softened you Danny no no it hasn't well I mean it has but not in this way uh but I, I think that the idea that if Halliburton had played more his team would be in a better situation like that is the degree of how much I should consider I should consider games play like it's it is it is enough of a factor like it made a huge difference if, on the arc of their on their respective seasons like if mitchell had played halliburton's level because if you have them as same more yeah that, that's completely fair and then let, let's talk a little bit about booker because we we've anyway, you have him second third team as well yeah it's going to be 51 games for him uh 1800 minutes pretty much the same uh as halliburton from a minute standpoint uh, overall on the season they're within about 100 of one another and booker uh, that was that was a couple of games ago and booker's likely going to finish the season at least I'll, I'll also say this too when it comes to like minutes and games if you're not playing at the end of the season because your team's a playoff team and they've locked up their seating i'm not going to ding you for that um you know unless maybe you're demar Derozan and the reason you're not playing is because you're locked into the 10 seat <laughs> but but uh uh yeah so so with booker i mean just that on-court offensive rating absolutely massive and for a team that obviously didn't have kevin durant most of the year chris paul really fell off Mikhail Bridges was not this Mikhail Bridges, although you could certainly question why he wasn't. Uh, I don't think that's Devin Booker's fault necessarily. And I I also just feel really comfortable with Devin Booker as a a rung above uh, probably, you know, Halliburton against the one guy who might have a case here. Um, But I still feel comfortable with Devin Booker as just a better player than your next group, which uh, even Harden, I I would say, was probably the other guy that was in this mix. He and Fox. Yeah, and and another part that was persuasive for me about not having Fox and Harden here is that all of these other guys we talked about are the best offensive player on their team and like have that burden and have done reasonably well. De'Aaron Fox, I think Sabonis is the best offensive player on their team. He has been valuable. He has been important. But like Sabonis is, is, you know, is... I I would disagree with that person. I, I think Fox is better than Sabonis. Okay. And then with Harden, obviously it's NBA. Like there's there's no real argument there. Yeah. I, I mean, especially if you watch the Kings at the end of games, like Oh, I'm I'm thinking you know, more like yeah. over the course of the A two game season. You're completely right in crunch time. Yeah, yeah. I mean it just it just as like I think De'Aaron Fox, like I think Sabonis. I mean, both of them have really benefited from the Kings system and their spacing and all that. Uh, but then when you uh, you're saying Sabonis is their best offensive player, I'm saying he's the biggest part. It's it's hard to say because it, it's also what he provides at the center position. So it's kind of you shift on positional averages. You know, like yeah. that. Like it's it's sort of a weird version of the Jokic argument. Like he's he's so much better than other centers offensively that that gives the Kings more than Fox versus the average point guard. Um, but yeah, Harden to me 
you know, it doesn't really, he's going to be 56 games, uh, it does play more minutes per game, but I, I think that he has, and he is a, a good on-ball three-point shooter, 7.0, three-point times per 36 minutes, done a little bit more as a spot-up guy this year, but still not a huge threat there, playing off the ball, uh, the way maybe uh, Halliburton and Booker and Mitchell are, and then, while I do think Embiid has certainly benefited from Harden, I would say more that Harden, with this crazy playmaking, has benefited fitted from Embiid because I just don't necessarily think that Harden is at the same level as a scorer anymore and I'm not sure what a James Harden as your best offensive player is kind of the argument you were making too what that offense looks like right now we they've, they've had some good numbers when Harden has played without Embiid at times but it's still you know, then they're playing five out as well. They can't really stop anyone. Harden, to me, is a more damaging defensive player than some of these small guards because he basically has to play either the three or the four, and it's really hard for him to get over screens uh, as well. Though he's tried to do that this year, I'll give I give him credit for a little more effort than he's shown in the past, but at times. So I, I, there just isn't really. Uh, I think a lot of Harden's playmaking is I'm going to just throw the ball to Joel in the pocket, which he's very good at, obviously. Uh, he's one of the better pocket passers like he certainly has helped Joel but I still think you know a lot of his assists are you throw it to a guy at the foul line where you know most guys couldn't do anything right there and and Joel then makes the play from that point and Harden gets the assist um so yeah ultimately went with uh Booker and Mitchell on my sec on my third team and apologies to Jalen Brunson as well just not quite up there in some of the advanced stats job Morant is another guy who just really didn't play very much the rest the end of the year and the I, also fact don't, that they, I don't think yeah. he was good enough yeah I, I thought he did particularly when Jaron was out at the beginning of the year I thought he did a lot to keep them he's going to finish with 59 games but I agree I mean his three-point percentage really dropped off this year 31 percent and didn't really show up that well in some of the impact metrics the true shooting was 56 percent below the league average he had to do way more 35 percent usage but like I think if we had to rank players I do think Jaws kind of in that Mitchell category maybe even up there with Booker but uh, just didn't have as a good year this year professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by Forge FX to hone her skills as a welder the more time that you spend practicing it that's what separates a good welder from a great welder VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. 
things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. So typically, at this point, we've gone through MVP and All-NBA. There are two different roads we can go down. Would you rather do Defensive Player of the Year next or Coach of the Year next? Let's just take uh, a little bit of a break from all the stats and get into the uh, the more narrative-driven award. I thought this is, in the end, actually, ended up being a better year for Coach of the Year than it looked like it would be at times this year. You want to just run through your list of candidates, and I'll, I'll add if I have anyone else that I would have considered, or at least if not considered for the top three, I think deserves mention for doing a really good job this year. Let's see. Um, J.P. Bickerstaff with the Cavs, Jacques Vaughn, Taylor Jenkins, Mike Brown, Mark Degnall, Tom Thibodeau. Uh, Periphery, like Will Hardy, I think has done a nice job with the Jazz. Their season obviously changed in tenor. I mean, the the fact that they've managed to be as competitive as they have been, I mean, they're throwing just absolute crap out on the floor for most of these games after the all-star break and they still have they compete every game it's really impressive joe missoula yeah um did i mention taylor jenkins taylor jenkins uh yeah if you didn't he certainly would be on there you mentioned bud i assume right oh yeah Boone Holzer. Big bud i hadn't mentioned him but yes yeah sure. um yeah let's go through a few of these candidacies i would also include darvin ham in that mm. um you know, I think he's really held this team together pretty well. Like they're number one in defense after the All Star break. They've had a rotating cast of characters. They, I mean, they started zero and five and what either two and eight, two and ten, something like that. The Russell Westbrook thing, like he managed to at least get you know Westbrook's six man candidacy was overstated, as we'll talk about. But you know, he at least managed to put it in a situation where Russell Westbrook wasn't killing them anymore. <laughs> and so, and, and I thought he found a good way to allow Russ to be effective with Anthony Davis with like some of these tight pick and rolls that they were running um so i i think and they've they've played hard every single night like uh, so that's that's his argument i mean tom thibodeau he's really evolved i think to some degree as a coach this year more pushing the ball in transition it's still not the most complex offense in the world and but i mean these guys are number the two number two in cleaning the glass offensive rating right now danny it's incredible the new york knicks that's insane and i think you know a lot of that is the talent that he's had but he's allowed that talent to thrive and i mean given the lack of spacing that they have i mean that's pretty incredible uh and and they've defended well enough i think that he a lot of coaches would not have had the fortitude to say bench an evan fournier and go with miles mcbride and start quentin grimes and you know he's he really and the front office has helped him by getting players that are more along the lines of what what he wants i mean he also benched derrick rose another like really respected veteran he had gotten a ton out of emmanuel quickly like i mean it's really hard to argue and and frankly i'll even say this too i mean if we're just talking about this year like the fact that he's willing to play his guys more games more minutes like that has helped the new york knicks win games this year like that's inarguable it has yeah i had i i had i had tibbs fourth and seriously considered having him on the ballot yeah um yeah i i actually i haven't selected by yet i kind of want to talk through some of these guys here um you know taylor jenkins just another one of these underrated guys where we now have priced in that this guy's an awesome coach much like his mentor mike budenholzer hey, you know all this john Morant bullshit like jaron jackson missed the first part of the year they haven't had stephen adams since january brandon clark tore his acl uh, i thought it was a, a really good quote i want to say this was from ty Lu. 
And I think the quote was, if you come out and you're not ready to play hard against the Taylor Jenkins team, you're going to get embarrassed. I thought that was a very telling quote about how, I mean, Taylor Jenkins, he plays 10 guys all the time, no matter who's available for his team, and he gets them to play hard and they win. I mean, the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies, what are they like third in net rating in the league with the injuries that they've had this season? Desmond Bain missed a month as well. He's getting a ton out of Dylan Brooks, despite the fact that Dylan Brooks you know, is such a controversial player. Yeah, third in net rating in the NBA, plus 5.2. They're going to win 50 games. They're going to go over 54 expected wins with the issues that they've had this year. I mean, that's it's a truly incredible performance. Like, I really think it needs to be acknowledged by, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. Has been. Um, all, so for me, I ended up with a top three of, and they've all done wonderful jobs, of J.B. Bickerstaff, Mike Brown, and Mark Degnault. And I want to go through briefly kind of the strengths of, of their relative cases. So we could start with Brown, who I think is going to win the actual war, not that that's what this is. And Brown, usually we like to think that coaches coaches can impact their team more defensively. And Sacramento, it's true. They are 24th in cleaning the glass defensive rating right now. However, that is also not worse than their talent level. In fact, it could even be slightly. I think it's better. I had them as a Mm -hmm. bottom three defense this year. However, the Kings are first in offense, eighth in net rating, and the three seed in the Western Conference in significant part because Mike Brown has pushed exactly the right buttons that led this team to success. It's not only, you know, how Having all the spacing, which part of that is Monty McNair and everybody putting it around him, but also entrusting Sabonis and Fox to to be the lead the lead forces in the offense, putting the spacing around them, understanding how to how to fit all of that together. And so I think he's done an absolutely masterful job. Yeah, they have a beautiful system. Uh, ben Taylor has a great video on how they kind of combined Warriors ball and Jokic ball to uh, create this really good system and it utilized the personnel that they've had. He's managed to cobble together a bench as well, uh, integrating Keegan. Murray a rookie uh, extremely well also like Keegan Murray's gonna uh, set the rookie record for most threes in a season uh you know, he's empowered him to shoot the ball and I think he's De'Aaron Fox has given a better effort defensively this season and just has had a bounce back year overall I think that he and quite frankly, like just getting them to believe. I mean, how how many coaches have we heard come into Sacramento, Danny, and be like, all right, we're going to change the culture here. Everything to be different now that I'm here. And uh, no, actually, it's not. <laughs> but this, it, it, this is actually true. I mean, they're 48 and 31 now. They're they're not like a dominant team. Uh, and and they may get to 50 wins. They'll be close. They're going to get the three seed. I think them being, quote unquote, the three seed overstates the season that they've had just because the rest of the West has had so many struggles. Uh, and of course, they've really, really benefited from health in a way that other teams uh, have not. And, and so that's been part of it. But uh, no, certainly he he's on the ballot for me. I don't think he's like some no-brainer, but he'll, he'll probably get it for me. Uh, Mark Dagnault, I if they had just been a little bit better these last two weeks, you know, he would have been right in there for me. I, I have Dagnault as my number one, but in part yeah. that might be because I'm de-emphasizing the last two weeks because I've watched so little. Um, but part of it is <laughs> you brought up that Ty Lue quote about Taylor Jenkins, and I think that some of that... That also applies to Degnault, where he has done like kind of in a weird way paralleling Mike Brown, done such a nice job 
understanding the limitations of his roster and then maximizing within that. So all the guard guard screening that they do using the spacing that you can provide from the five to help offset the lack of spacing they have at other positions because just the aggregate shooting on this team is is not at that level. Empowering Shea Gildas Alexander to be this version of himself offensively. Getting him to defend more. Getting him to defend. um, OKC, like we brought up how, you know, Sacramento is a little bit above defending their talent level. As much as I believe more in these thunder players than i did at the beginning of the season them being as we're recording this 18th at times they've been way better than that on defensive rating like that overperforms their talent level significantly they were remember they were playing four spacing fives to try to face four they weren't playing good defensive fives for a lot of i mean jalen williams has his moments but he's a different kind of defensive player they the way they help the way they de- the way that they defend is is very intense and it requires good active coaching so yeah i, I think he He's done a fabulous job overall. And like for both, I, I think of Brown and Dagnall as one, two in either order, in part because like they're hard jobs to do. And you might not think that unless you really dig into it. You know, like it, it, like you see the talent and all that stuff is like, oh, no, they've done a really good job squeezing the most they can out of this team. Yeah, I would say like OKC, it's one of these things where it's like you still can't understand how they did it. Now, generally defensive teams fall more into that category right sacramento it's like oh they had all this offensive talent like, yeah you know well and and, and i will note with that, okc but. it's not shooting like either as of at least the last time i checked it it wasn't like they're that because everybody's missing every open three against them because that team happens every year too yeah okc they've actually had slightly below average luck on opponent shooting slightly yeah and, and i mean joe Missoula has been rock solid they have the sure. best net rating in the league but uh yeah, I mean, Hardy has been amazing too. Uh, uh, JB Bickerstaff, like they, that's, I mean, again, for them to be as good offensively as they are is pretty incredible. I mean, I think Braun and Dagnall have to be in there for me. I think I'll ultimately, ultimately, I'm going to go with Taylor Jenkins mm-hmm. as my, I think I'll actually go with him as number two, Dagnall number three. Um, you know, I do put a little bit more stock in getting your team to really be a top seed than the surprise team that gets to 500, even though it was incredible uh, for Dignault. And, and they are not guaranteed to make the play-in, but there's still a decent bet. We'll see what happens there. Dallas's, Dallas's hearts are still beating here, so yeah, I'm going to go. <laughs> Allegedly, no, at least. <laughs> number one, Mike Brown. Number two, and we're, we're recording this during the day on Wednesday. We don't know what happened yet on Wednesday. Uh, number two, Taylor Jenkins. And number Number three, Mark Dagnall, but certainly Tibbs, Bickerstaff, Will Hardy, and Mike Budenholzer too would would have to be in that next group as well. I mean, but Mike Budenholzer, all he does is just you know they win fifty games every year, and doesn't matter who gets injured. It's, it's very impressive for him too. This is always one of the hardest ones to pick. It is. I will note that it is a weird year that some of the coaches that I think of as the best in the league have not either. Both often in case both cases they haven't had great coaching years, and like I mean the teams haven't been like so. It's, you can think about Spo with the Heat, Kerr with the Warriors, like not not the best coaching jobs by some of them. But we'll we'll factor that in later on. Or more accurately, you and John will because you do coach drink. Uh defensive player of the year, and I have a clear top three, and I've struggled a lot at with the top two. I'll give you the top three and then I'll we can I'll 
give you the order jaron brooke lopez and draymond green i have the same top three and um i have i will say right now i have have jaron third and a part of the reason why is we talked about the fouls in the minutes played in a previous podcast i don't need to work through that as much it's like part of the reason that jaron jackson is so effective on a per minute basis is that he plays more aggressively which lets him play fewer which leads to him playing fewer minutes due to fouls so i don't you know so the per minute stuff is going to sometimes overstate it because of that latitude but for me the bigger reason to have Lopez over Jackson is that both teams have been successful when defensively when those players have been on the floor but Lopez's the Bucks' success with Lopez is less built on how opponents have shot than it is for the Grizz with Jaron like that's just and and it's the math problem stuff when yeah, even well, well shot on jumpers obviously yeah shot on these jumpers. guys can certainly affect, affect what, what happens at the rim and and yeah. do and and so for Lopez the Bucks are they're great at the math problem elements even when Giannis is not on the floor so they have a, a 109 3 defensive rating cleaning the glass version which is 93rd percentile lopez on Giannis off and their rim protection is very good in those minutes they're not fouling they're grabbing a ton of defensive rebounds and of course that when Giannis is up four that falls on brooke lopez and so for me yes jaron jackson does have more scheme versatility but i think that lopez like the, when the player's primary value is their rim protection i think that lopez to me has the more persuasive argument relative of the two of them and the, the contest percentage for Jaron Jackson is absolutely insane when you consider that he spends a fair amount of time playing forward, that he can still switch on to guys and guard in the perimeter. I think he's gotten better at that this year. I would give the per minute defensive player of the year by a hair to Jaron. Um, now, again, noting that he's able to be more effective in those minutes, maybe due to his style, but more so as well that he only played the 60 games. Well, he's been quite durable since then, but I mean, 28.1 minutes per game, that's a little bit tough for me. I mean, I do think there's a qualitative difference between that and Draymond Green playing 32 and in addition to just the raw minutes, but it's like, you know, 28 minutes per game, that's like pretty close to only playing half the game like you you kind of that four minutes i think does make you really have to change your rotation around between 32 that's like starters minutes and 28 it's like not really starters minutes well and, and uh, nate on that yeah. front when you look at the low minute get totals for jaron jackson it's not like when he came back from injury and was starting the season he was playing around 25 then no the games when jaron jackson has the fewest minutes played generally speaking those are games when he was in foul trouble you know so he played yeah. against against the Bucks appropriately enough they I mean they also won that game going away but he had four fouls in 13 minutes and when they played the Celtics he fouled out in 20 minutes when they played the Warriors he had five fouls in 21 minutes in a game the Warriors won by 12 by 14 so like those matter like you those those you know those absences and I've always struggled with whether defensive player of the year is best defensive player or most valuable defensive player I think the answer is it's between the two but not being able to be on the floor is a detriment for sure so yeah I mean I think Dre Draymond even still has an argument for being as good as Jaron per minute this season. I do too. And Draymond has been very, very durable this year. I mean, he's played 70 games, 2,200 minutes compared to, I mean, should very durable by today's standards, shall we say. Sure. But uh, why do you think it is, Danny? I mean, John asked me this the other day. 
why do you because we're doing top 10 players and obviously we got down the list and i'm still like i would have draymond green in very good consideration for being a top 25 player when you consider the playoffs as well but why is it that draymond green is just getting zero buzz for this award and is it for any reason that we should actually give a shit about the warriors as a team but also the warriors as a defense have been below expectations and i think there are times that people unfairly put that at the feet of and when the player is off and so for example the warriors on the season if you want to use the cleaning the glass version they are 16th on defense you'd be like well how in the world can the the number 16 ranked defense have the defensive player of the year or a top two or a top three wherever wherever we end up putting Draymond Green and one of the basic answers is well because they haven't been a top tier defense they've been actively bad when he's been off the and but if you look at it when he's on the Warriors are 109.4 that is in the same vicinity as like for example the Cavs with Jarrett Allen on the floor it is Bucks with Giannis Bucks with Giannis Cavs with Mobley like all that kind of and and Jaron you know the the Mavs the Grizz with Jaron are are better than that the Bucks with Lopez are a step better than that but so you have that element but those teams aren't the the drop-off is not nearly severe the Warriors are 6.4 points per 100 possessions worse on defense when Draymond's off the floor that is the largest of anybody that Feldman compiled stats for there and it's also because in some ways Draymond's case it's always a little bit more nebulous because his role isn't exactly the same. You know, he's not the deterrence that that Lopez is, and it's not always about the counting stats. And Draymond, like, he gets a steal per game, but it's not like he gets three or something something wild in that respect. It's the positioning. And I think the other part that we understand maybe better than some people do is that Kavon Looney has taken a real step back this year. And so... And, and Andrew Wiggins hasn't, and Andrew Wiggins hasn't either, been right? available. And he hasn't had so, anyone around him for most of the season, I would say. I agree. And so the, the context there, I think, matters a lot. And some of those specifics on that, I mean, especially with the, the absence of Wiggins, um, which thankfully is coming close to an end. But so the Warriors, you know, they're the 16th ranked defense how could somebody be there be, be that but like I, I mean he's number one in my defensive player of the year because when he's been on the floor they've been so much better and they've been better in ways that you can see Draymond Green's let's get through some of the some of the stats here defensive EPM Jaron 3.1 Draymond 3 Brooke Lopez 1.9 offense uh, the biggest argument for Jaron is the Grizzlies 106 on defense when he's on Draymond Warriors are 109 the differential those two have the two biggest differentials of any of these candidates uh warriors 6.4 points 100 better when draymond's on the floor grizz 5.6 points 100 better when jaron is on the floor mentioned the minutes per game already these are to me two these the guys we're mentioning are the three most valuable rim protectors in basketball i would say uh draymond i mean and this is just incredible you mentioned that he's like barely at a block i think he's even under a block per game but opponents shooting 61 percent at the rim overall when draymond's on the floor that's 54 percent for jaron but i will note that i think the warriors wonky scorekeeping that counts a lot of rim shots as floaters actually hurts draymond there because they only count like the shots that are absolutely closest to the basket as rim shots the field goal percentage allowed at the rim when they contest draymond at 51 percent jaron again at a ridiculous 47 percent uh the point save for 100 draymond at forward jaron at center uh, jaron is better there uh 5.8 
compared to 3.7 that's and i think like they've kind of played the same amount of forward and center i would say over the course of the year so jaron is better there but of course draymond playing more minutes fewer fouls better defender on the perimeter than jaron jackson is and then i i also do you mentioned brooke lopez and you've got him above jaron i wouldn't do that uh i ultimately went with jaron over him for second but I, I think lopez just the lack of defensive versatility like that does matter to me less so in the regular season but it still does matter uh and the bucks have had very very good perimeter defense like that is very important for the style that brooke lopez that's plays. a that's it's a really strong guy. that's a strong point i mean because you think about what they've empowered javon carter i mean and you could say it's a virtuous yeah. cycle but like what Javon Carter and Drew Holiday do, it makes life easier on Brooke and Brooke there makes life easier on them. Yeah, and obviously he plays next to Giannis too, who has had a down year, but still is... And I, and I know the numbers are still pretty good when Brooke is on and Giannis is off, so that I'm not counting. But uh, all those things kind of pop up a little bit to me. So yeah, ultimately, I thought the there are arguments in favor of Jaren, there are arguments in favor of Draymond. I think those kind of cut both ways, and so I'd give the advantage to Draymond with more games, more minutes, more minutes per game. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Since we generally do the real awards before we do the fake ones, um, I'll give you the choice, six man or rookie. Rookie, I think we can bang out pretty fast here. Or maybe not. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. see. I, I thought there are three, really only only three real candidates at this point in time. Uh, Paolo Bancaro, Jalen Williams, Walker Kessler in no particular order. Paolo, I, I will say that if I didn't have the philosophy that I have on this, and it was just, hey, who's provided the most value as a rookie this year? This might have been harder for me, but I do use as a tiebreaker, th- there is a who I think is the best prospect element. You know, I kind of go back to the Joel Embiid versus Malcolm Brogdon, like it's rookie of the year. Like I do think there is a, if not a narrative component, at least a an acknowledgement that the reason the rookie of the year award exists is in part due to your future potential and that some some rookies almost all rookies are going to actually damage your team to some degree because they're going to have a larger offensive role and they're trying to grow and Paul I don't know that he even really was hurting his team that much because they just had no one else to take a lot of these shots but certainly one of the more damaging players in terms of just his inefficiency and the large usage this year but overall I thought the Magic overperformed this season I thought he was part of that like I don't think he was just like he wasn't just gunning on a team that is just completely out of it at the end like they've been trying to win all the way through the tape they've been competitive since they were just terrible early in the year with all the injuries you know they've been I think even close to 500 since you know the first month and a half of the year and so I I did go with Powell ultimately I think he's just a different level of a prospect than Kessler and Williams and I do think that the Magic even with this inefficiency like if you just took 
Paulo Bancaro off the team, like they would be a worse team. I think that's pretty clear to me. I agree with all that. And um, I think for me, so it was a much closer call between Bancaro and Kessler. And I think you can make an argument that Kessler has been better. But actually, it reminded me of, but I went with Bancaro, is a weird parallel to something I brought up with last year with Tyler Hero for six minutes of the year, which is what you're asked to do matters. And Walker Kessler, wonderful job doing what the Jazz need him to do, you know, be a capable defender, also has shown more of an offense vacuum than I expected and and full credit to him for that. But 16% total usage. And that doesn't mean that, you know, that shouldn't summarize his impact on the floor on both ends because Kessler Kessler's defense, I would argue, has been the biggest single positive of any rookie. But offense, you know, generating good shots for yourself and others is really important. And Kessler hasn't been asked to do that. That's not his fault. It's just something he hasn't had to do. So like I do factor in the degree of difficulty here. And so I have Ben Carroll one, Kessler two, Jalen Williams. Yeah, if you look at the stats, like the Jazz are a plus three with Kessler on the floor and a negative 3.2 with him off. And, and when you consider when yeah. Kessler's minutes have come relative to this Jazz season, that's actually really impressive. Yeah, it is. And they've been a respectable defense with him on the floor and they've been terrible with him off the floor as well, particularly during the, the meat of their season when they actually didn't just shut down their offensive players and play like Chris Dunn and Juan Toscano-Anderson the whole game. So, yeah, and if you look at the impact metrics, Kessler is really the only one who's remotely positive in EPM. Like, he is the only rookie of the year candidate who is positive in EPM. Again, going back to this rookie suck idea. Now, Jalen Williams is a negative 0.6 EPM. Like, no, I'm not actually going to buy that he is a negative offensive player for, for this OKC team. He is part of why that number is negative is I think he's played a lot when Shea has been off the floor. And so they are worse off offensively when Jalen is on the floor versus off and you might say hey he doesn't shoot it quite enough so like he doesn't play as well as Shea like I, but he's, he's been in the starting lineup like and uh, I think he's been really good he's up up to 30 minutes a game now uh he's played 73 games uh Paulo you know the the on-off numbers are a little disturbing they're a negative four with him on and a plus 2.8 with him off the floor uh they are somewhat of a deep team and also he played a lot of minutes early in the season without a lot of their other good players so I, I again I don't put too much stock in that. Uh, we'll see. I, I mean, it could well be that Paul Bancaro and his fifty three percent true shooting. You know, maybe that doesn't get that much better next year. And you're like, eh, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's not great compared to Jalen Williams being sixty percent true shooting. Uh, that's they've played about the same number of minutes. So I wouldn't if if you had a different philosophy, I wouldn't say uh Jalen Williams or Walker Kessler shouldn't be ahead of Paolo but the way that I do it I still I'm gonna go Paolo one Kessler two Jalen Williams three I don't I want to spend even less time on sophomore of the year because (laughs) there are only two guys that I think really even move the deal and I'm and I have Mo- Evan Mobley one, Franz Wagner two. Zero yeah. qualms about switching the order. Those Wagner's had another solid year, though he didn't take as much of a step forward. I wouldn't say either of those guys really did, but they've been the two best. And then yeah. I, I think there have been some baby steps uh, sure. from Mobley that, uh, and I, I think you know Mobley is still really good on defense. Oh, like some so of the good on defense. some of the shooting lock stuff has been has been to his detriment, but that's not necessarily his fault. Like he's, I, I mean, he, if there's if you're gonna say hey, I, I want to win as many games as possible, who do I want? 
want on my team this year. Like Evan Mobley, I think is a pretty easy choice, especially because of what he gives you something that you just, it's really hard to find. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Wagner is, it's his skill set while interesting is replaceable. A great way to put it. And then, you know, you could talk about different players, none of whom have really super thrived this year, but like, I guess you could talk about Alpern Shingun, Trey Murphy, Scotty Barnes, but my number three is Quentin Grimes. And Grimes does have a smaller role within the Knicks offense than a lot of guys do. It's kind of like he's a center for the Knicks in that respect, but he can convert shots. And I think his defense has made a huge difference for them. And like when they put Quentin Grimes in the starting lineup, it made a lot of this Knicks group make sense. And so I don't know that he'll be the third best moving forward or anything like that, but I do think he's been the third best this year. Yeah, well, with shang I didn't feel great about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So let's go to six man, which doesn't make you feel any better. Um, though there are some positive stories here to discuss, and, and we'll, we'll get into that. And so for me, I actually ended up with kind of a top two, and I could be persuaded to switch the order of it. And those two are Alec Burks and Emmanuel Quickly. And I've made this case for Alec Burks over the last few months where I basically kind of he's been hovering in the spot for me that even though this Piston season has changed over a lot of times, like there's this weird nuance that like they've been meaningfully better when he's been on the floor offensively than when he's not. And Burks has a pretty large role within the offense of uh, not not it's always the most robust. He's, you know, 30 percent total usage. And that's lower than a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. It's lower than a few others. Um, but he's, you know, 60 percent true shooting, 41 percent on eight threes per 36 minutes. Whereas the case for quickly is unusual because quickly has grown a lot and he's he's a, an exciting improvement player. But it hasn't really been by him being the offensive engine. He's been fine as an efficient. Uh, you know, he has about the same role as offense as Burks. It's been that he's been a, a huge positive for them defensively. He's been a good, huge positive defensively. He's with an above average defensive point guard. I mean, to me, like Burks, I just eliminated him from my candidacy 1100 minutes 51 games it wasn't there at the start of the season when their season was completely off the rails by the time he showed up which i mean that that does matter it was a key point in the season and then he basically hasn't played the last month and a half either so he's gonna finish with 1100 but he's only only played 22 minutes a game even when he was playing and this is just like a, a bullshit piston season that doesn't matter at all and and then he hasn't played enough within that to make it matter and so yeah he's had a good season season like their their offense was putrid except when he played like i understand that but i don't think he should get extra credit for that putridity although sure. he was able to lift them a little bit like i, I get that but you know if, if he had done the same thing to a team that actually mattered or if he actually played anywhere close enough i mean quickly has played double the number of minutes of alex burke alex burks um quickly closes a lot of games that's another thing that's really important burks would have closed games too uh i so if i did not have burks he probably would have been my number four sorry go okay ahead. no i was just gonna say burks could have closed games if there were games to close <laughs> so i actually quickly was number one to me i mean particularly he, just with the value that he's had playing that many minutes that's just a crazy number of minutes to play off the bench 2200 minutes and and played 29 minutes a game that's basically the highest just about a, of any of these candidates and he's been really good like they've the offense has been a lot worse with him on the floor but that's because he's played a lot of minutes without their two best offensive players and also Jalen Brunson has been fantastic but I like that quickly can close games and be next to to Brunson also because of his defensive value and his shooting value so he really can play both guard positions and do it well which is important uh he's been just a huge part of the Knicks success this year I mean there really just are not that many bench players that are like among a team's top five players 
at this no. point. Like, I don't know if the culture has changed at all or what, but. Um, well, yeah, and that's, then that's the quickly closing games, I think, a really good reason to have him number one. I have, I have him, I've moved him to number one as well. Um, Burks, too. I still acknowledge what Burks has done this year. I wouldn't if you know, like, you, there was this idea Simmons had this years ago of like the weights of MVP seasons. This would be an extremely low weight six man of the year season. Like, there just aren't those guys. Um, and then my third is Larry Nance Jr., in part because he, you know, he's a part of the best Pelicans lineups a lot of times because he, because of what he does and Valanciunas doesn't. Um, again, I don't think I would have Nance on the ballot in most years, but especially with some of these guys missing some time, you don't have those traditional dominant on-ball seasons this year. So that quickly, Burks, Nance, I'll acknowledge some of the other guys I considered, Malcolm Brogdon. Austin Reeves has had an interesting year, but his role is too small. Like, it's just, it's hard for me to accept that for like a sixth man to, to, to just... Yeah, like a lot of these guys, and uh, it's like, oh, well, what you did as a starter is now bolstering of your six-man candidacy. I mean, it's part part of this, this rule. It's like a little ridiculous, honestly. But as, as much as you and I have been advocates for him in the past, I cannot in good conscience, even if he's had the best offensive season, put Christian Wood in my top three because like... Oh, no, not even close. Like his... It, what what the overall body of work is insufficient no uh, and he's a guy who hasn't largely closed games jason kidd has, hasn't trusted him i had nance number two i mean this is a crazy stat pell is plus 8.5 with him on the floor negative 1.3 wow with him off that that's a, an insane number and he he would i think on a permanent basis he's easily been the most effective bench player this year I, again maybe not because he he's like so unbelievable just just due to his skill set and the way it fits in on this particular team, like it's a, actually has some defensive versatility. He's really their only big who has that. His, the shooting hasn't been amazing this year. You know, he's only taking one three per 36 like that's kind of been phased out of his game but he'll at least like he at least like stands on the perimeter like he runs the dho game he can pass a little bit like he, he's not just like posting up clogging things up he's also a voracious offensive rebounder which matters a lot too it plays really hard good in transition the problem though there and he does close games obviously 61 games that's fine but only 21 minutes per game right. that's that's a little bit of a concern to me I mean, again like he's quickly has played almost double the number of minutes that he has and then i had reeves as third for me i mean the efficiency numbers are insane for a guard i realize his role in the offense is not huge from a scoring usage standpoint 14 percent, but his playmaking is actually above average for a two guard 9.3 percent and 25 percent total usage i mean that's not that far below quickly necessarily and reeves is 68 percent true shooting and he's just a guy who can play 39 percent from three that gets to the foul line like another guy who gives you pace in both full court and half court situations he has been able to have more of an offensive role lately he's come on so i and what he's proven as a starter without lebron james recently was pretty good so uh, I also Brogdon to me I think some people be like well he's pretty efficient like higher usage like again just basically has not been in the mix to close games at all uh, when they've been remotely healthy 44% three-point shooting is pretty good like he's been a good player but and he is averaging 26 minutes a game that has stayed largely healthy this year but I think the fact that there's not really much in the impact metrics that loves what he's done uh, and again not a guy who's closed games if Russell Westbrook had played the way he's played as a starter with the Clippers all season including when he was with the Lakers he actually would be in this mix for me but of course his season with the Lakers was wildly overrated so uh we done here on this yes oh I did want to say a few a few guys who are not eligible 
role here. Alex Caruso has started 52% of games now. Jordan Poole has started 53% of games. Um, those are probably the two that would stick out the most of guys being thought of as bench players who could be in this mix that are not. Okay. Are there any, I guess, executive of the year now is the last like official and, award and that most we have to do? And most improved. Ah, most improved. Let's talk most improved, actually. Yeah, because we haven't, you and I haven't discussed this at all. I want to, let's just throw out some candidates here first, uh, and then we can kind of roll through a, a few of them. Shea Gildas Alexander, you know, he's um, gone from about 30, 30.8 usage to 33. That's the basketball reference version of the stat. So he went from a high usage to a higher usage, but also the best true shooting of his career, 63%, which is actually very similar to Larry Markkinen, who, of course, we're also talking about. He's also improved a lot defensively. De'Aaron Fox being the best clutch player in the league and instead of yeah. you know being do being this efficient be by becoming a more reliable three-point shooter it's been a massive improvement from two and you know the being a mid-range a mid-range artist so far this year yeah. being if a, i could break in uh, sure. quickly i mean to me most improved because we don't people may not be familiar with this we don't talk about it throughout the year i generally have second year guys ineligible and yes no problems there because those guys all sucked this year and didn't improve uh but uh, and even even guys third year i do tend to discount a little bit um but i i really like guys who have not only just improved statistically but have actually added new skills where you can really just see the work that's been put in and, and fox is really in that category for me with how he's improved so much as a mid-range shooter and that of course has really helped his clutch game which again we'll see how well that particular aspect lasts but Fox has gotten back to respectability as a three-point shooter, although that's fallen off a little bit. He's at 33%. But last year, couple of years recently, he's been just like you don't ever want him taking those. And then float range 57% this year. Uh, he's improved his finishing around the basket as well from 71 to 81 percent which is uh, some of this might be a little unsustainable we'll see uh, and then just the overall the 10 to 16 feet is up to 48 percent. so those are just real weapon for him uh who else did you have then larry marketing marketing going from 15 points a game to 25.6 in a single year doing so on the most on the highest efficiency of his career 64 percent true shooting and his best season from two 58.5 percent marketing is also getting to the line a lot more than he ever has before and market has been a part of successful defenses before and this is jazz team is does that necessarily fit that but he's done the he kind of in some ways has the more traditional case which is the doing a lot more but i think marketing has really shown more depth more quality to his game than before and marketing is my number one yeah he's uh, improved so much in terms of his skill level grabbing and going working off the ball some of those drives and then even throughout the year once the the trade was made he's done more on the ball as well obviously not a passer that's something he's going to need to work on how about this stat danny 3.0 free throw attempts per 36 minutes last season 6.3 this year and it just his number of two point attempts and you mentioned that he's gotten had his best two point finishing year but he also upped his number of twos per game from six to ten as well and his three-point shooting is up, actually not as high per 36 
compared to where he was before only up one this year but did shoot 39 percent and he's just watching him subjectively or, or yeah subjectively he's shooting more coming off the screens and it's just been a more versatile less spot up focus game or at least shooting on the move i guess that's technically a spot up uh got better as a rebounder mm-hmm. as well per, per 36 he's really improved there particularly in the offensive glass he went from one per game to two per game he's the first player ever with 100 dunks and 203 pointers in a season and yeah i mean just going the, the amount that he's improved as a scorer is being able to not only generate way more shots but also make them at a way higher clip uh certainly all the stuff that he's added has been incredibly his finishing has gotten way better as well this year that's been really exciting and he's been one of the best forwards uh, in basketball. I put a special note in for Mikhail Bridges since the trade, where it's just like what he has been able to do. And and some of this, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot over the years. Um, there have been players who've won most improved to where it's just it's primarily been opportunity based, where it's like, oh, they get to be a starter. They get to have the ball in their hands more. But I just wanted to mention this briefly. Mikhail Bridges since the trade, 30 percent usage, basketball reference usage, 63 percent true shooting 53% on twos 41% on threes really interesting really interesting indeed and yeah if you put it together a full season like that probably would be right in here for sure i mean there are a lot of great great candidates this year i I said this tongue-in-cheek but it's really true julius (laughs) randall who is actually like probably one of the more damaging offensive players in basketball last year and he has improved this year but he's done it in a different way than he did two years ago like he really deserves a lot of credit for the way he's expanded his three-point game not nearly as much just like isolation jumper type of stuff except when he really has it going i'm obviously not going to be in my top three but (laughs) just if you just could pair last year or this year like you really should be up there um i would say jalen brunson also sure i mean i think there now he he showed flashes of this of course in the playoffs last year but that was you wondered well is that just because they're playing five out all the time and he can just go and isolate like no he's been fantastic even on a knicks team that doesn't have a lot of spacing so he's been spectacular shooting 42 percent from downtown as well that's just a massive number jaron jackson jr was certainly not in the defensive player of the year conversation last year he's also steadily gotten better as an offensive player as well particularly he keeping them afloat during that period that jaw was just suspended was very impressive Tyrese Halpert yes I'm surprised you didn't mention him oh yeah although he, I'm sure he was on your list he's absolutely on my list um Halbert, you know building off of what he did in the second half last year after the the trade for DeMontis Savonis and you know having that super large role within the Pacers offense when he's been available he absolutely deserves consideration and um and I I mean I, I mentioned it briefly but like Shea the defensive proof I mean Shea Gilders Alexander I don't know well let's call it an hour ago I picked him for first team all NBA like that is a yeah. that is a remarkable accomplishment, and so um, I, I I ended up going with Fox over for second spot Fox over Shea in part because Alexander it was other than the defense it was more like a you you turn the volume up on the same stuff whereas there was a larger like larger material improvements for Fox I think is the way that I would put it so but I mean Hal Burton I, I love that you brought up Jaron because he he deserves consideration here as well lower level guys who would be in there for me Aaron Gordon. Gordon, quickly, Nick Claxton. Oh, Claxton's a great call. I should have put him in. But I think ultimately, probably the three guys, like Markinen and Halberton to me are probably the two that were just in some ways the biggest surprises to me. I mean, we're ruining our biggest surprise player category. Some, but those are the two guys who took 
leaps from just not being at all at the level that you thought of even like even close to all-star level to like very solid all nba consideration like i probably would have had marketing at the top of that group of forwards that were below the guys that i actually picked so those are my top two and then it kind of comes i i think shay like deer and fox i think has been at like kind of close to this level two years ago i think shay is the guy just because he has made that leap into you know really a clear top 15 player in the NBA like a, a, clearly a player who really matters and a guy who I think is you know right on the borderline of like pushing into that real inner struggle like he is just really mattered this season in a way that you just never thought would be the case so I think ultimately I'll go marking in number one because he he was the guy you just you never saw this coming uh and I think he's probably the favorite to win the award as well and then Halliburton will be number two and Shea number three do you want to since we're right here do you want to just do all I'll mention the players that I have in biggest uh, surprise player that we didn't talk about in this. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. And the one I want to start with is Walker Kessel because big time. We, I mean, you and I didn't do film on him other than the ancillary stuff when we were scouting Jabari, and he's been awesome. And like, I mean, one of the more impactful rim protectors in the league currently on on Seth's rim protection stat, Walker Kessel is fourth in RP wins as a rookie and has been a better offensive player than Rudy Gobert this year. Like that is really, really striking. Um, Desmond Bain, it was, it was more in that concentrated early stretch though. Of course he's done some things later as well. Um, but him working his way, like showing that he could do more in those circumstances you brought up quickly, briefly, but I'll emphasize him here. A couple of my favorites, um, Isaiah Joe going from being kind of an afterthought being cut this year to being a valued rotation player for the Oklahoma city thunder in part because he's hitting every three imaginable, but in part because Isaiah Joe has improved a lot defensively. And then I don't know exactly where to put Bobo, but like he has been better than I thought, you know, uh, on the bench if you're Jamal Mosley. Sorry, incidentally. Sorry. Just, just kidding. And then, yeah, but, but he's been a real player. He's this been a year, real player. Right? And speaking of has been a real player this year, it hasn't been as good a stretch for him in Minnesota, but Nikhil Alexander Walker, 56% true shooting on 18 usage. Like, you know, after the, the rough go of it, he had in new Orleans and Utah last year, it's like, eh, you know, like I've been, I've been following Nikhil since he was 17 because we saw him in person. And I was like, Oh, this guy's interesting and all that. But like, I wanted to mention him briefly because I, I didn't think I, I, I kind of, I had closed the door and I'm not closing it yet. I'm he's reopened it and that doesn't happen often. This is where I think I can go to Mikhail Bridges. Sure. As number three, because it's almost more surprising to have this leap in season after the trade than it would be at the start. Cause at least at the start, it's like, Oh yeah, well he did all this work during the off season. Like now he's come in, right? Like this was <laughs> just complete get completely out of nowhere. I still would have marketed in one and Halliburton two, but Bridges would probably be number three. A couple of other names that you didn't mention. Like Kessler would have probably been four for me. Julius Randle, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Oh, emerging yeah. as like an all defense level. Uh, Rick Carlisle is probably a little surprised by that when he had him as a rookie. Uh, Austin Reeves, uh, another guy being in the six man oh, conversation. Can I, can I make a quick note on Dennis Smith? First of all, I'm so thrilled sure. for him. This career arc that we've seen with other guys, including Markel Fultz, of like hyper athletic, disappointing, high draft pick guard reinventing themselves as a defense first player is like a really fun development. And what's so frustrating for me is that the guy who is in many ways could be the best fit for this is Ben Simmons, but hasn't yet fully articulated that. We'll get to him in a bit. Yeah, well, he he kind of reinvented himself as a defensive player because he couldn't do anything offensively even back when he was good. Fair enough. Uh, 
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's, uh, let's bang out executive of the year. I think that's probably, because I know you're starting to oh, run out of time here. We can, but, we can roll a little bit. Okay, yeah. So we, we've... Uh, Executive of the year is probably where you and I really specialize in a lot, and uh, of course, it's a uh, a topic that might lead to some um, debate. Well, and I'll also I'll also mention because I always emphasize this: uh, it's not rigidly the league year because it's basically since the end of the last year because the yeah. draft and everything else factors in. But you and I don't see this as an accumulation award. So if if a GM made like three nice moves in twenty one, that eventually paid off. Like for example, when Bob Myers traded for Andrew. Andrew Bogut and then Bogut didn't play that year and then was good the next year when the Warriors were better like that doesn't count but you the overall vision and everything else and so for me I had a clear-cut number one and that's Danny Ainge and Ainge yes I absorbed the criticism that we praise teardowns more than we praise buildups but they did really well in the Mitchell and Gobert trades not only for the draft picks that they acquired in those deals and especially the Wolves ones I mean the Wolves the season has bounced back they're they're still below the level that i hoped for them but i mean when you consider they're less stable and a little older and certain other things um there's that but there's also the players that they brought back in those deals and not only ochai abaji and walker kessler who are helping the jazz now but also the players that they were able to turn into other assets even if it was less than i expected like malik beasley and jared vanderbilt and patrick beverly and so the jazz like they're on good footing and i think that you to me like my number two is Kobe Altman. You can make an argument for Altman be number one if you value things differently than I do. He rolled dice and his dice roll worked out better than the other dice rolls. Um, but also in part because of the young players that Ainge identified and brought in, even though technically the Jazz didn't draft them. Like this wasn't a, this is more of the Thunder eventually getting Jeremy Lamb in the Harden trade rather than the like you identify the guy and the trade just isn't consummated. Yeah, Ainge was number two for me. I'll second everything that you said. And I mean, just particularly the targeting of what we kind of thought were these ancillary players and some of these deals oh, these guys are just salary I mean, people were so much more focused including us on colin sexton than Markinen as oh yeah it's a great point in that deal right i mean there are other executives who might have been like all right well just give me kevin love and his expiring contract back for donovan mitchell right i, I don't want larry Markinen. he's not a good contract you know that's and colin sexton who cares right that's but instead uh he got these guys who were really good and, oh, you know, and getting kessler and also as well, yeah. another reason Angels number one. He hired Will Hardy, and Hardy's been a good coach. Yeah, but very much so. I still went with Kobe Altman as my number one, Ainge number two. I thought it's it's pretty cool that you could have two ends of a trade actually work out. Uh, there was not the case in some other directions, but. I do think the buildup is still a little easier than the teardown. The teardown, a lot of it is about just having the mandate to do it. And it, and particularly at this particular time in history, now having the mandate and convincing 
ownership that you should do it is part of it like Danny Ainge deserves credit there and to do it at the ultimate sell high time the ultimate seller's market maybe in NBA history as the Gobert trade proved but it's still more teams are trying to get good than get bad and Altman was the one guy who actually succeeded in building a team that not only got a lot better this year but now should be a very sustainable top four seed type for a fair amount of time number three to me I still had Daryl Morey just building this team to actually make sense around Harden and Embiid the Harden trade is not necessarily part of this Although, if we could go back and edit our executive of the year from last year, that Harden trade looks way better now than it did at that time for Gerald Morey, certainly. And then I had a few others. Who is your number three? I ended up, you had had Morey there for longer. I ended up putting him there. Um, I've been considering Wel- Jeff Weltman before, and I do like a lot yeah. of what Weltman and the Magic did. You know, the Bankero, I still think he's the best prospect of the guys in the draft, excluding Chet Holmgren, of course, because we haven't seen him play in an NBA regular season game and Weltman maintaining flexibility by giving those contracts to Mobamba, who's now gone, and Gary Harris is is positive I, th- I think that they you know did that but they still have a lot of questions to answer and um so i i feel good about it but i'm a little bit less enthusiastic and then the other person that i think is well here actually can i before you do that i actually want to edit mine okay uh as you're talking i'm actually with leon rose at number three that is a great choice for you <laughs> no i'm considering it as well no, like, just, i had, I had funny really you know like especially i mean but jalen brunson i mean jalen brunson the the acquisition there will factor into not executive of the year as well i mean so i'm trying to th- work through the other stuff that, so i mean they got well, well, here, so I, i've got it for sure. you, if you if you want so in number one I mean, we're like, I, I I will especially give credit when it's the moves were ones that I didn't really see coming or think were that good. For sure. And that were maybe contrary to conventional wisdom and have worked. I mean, we're like, okay, Leon Rose, nepotism, CAA, oh, you're going to hire Rick Brunson. Great. Like, you know, is Jalen Brunson really this good? Like, what is the point of acquiring Brunson at this point in time? Like, you're not really ready to win. He's just a eh, quality starting point guard. It's fine. Not a terrible contract but like why move heaven and earth well they didn't have to move heaven and earth they, in the end they just were able to make the move for brunson without ha- they were able to get off of contracts that they didn't want create the space for him without having to give up a first round pick which was impressive and Wait, didn't didn't they yeah. give up didn't they give up a first in the overall deal the the kemba uh but then they acquired yeah i think they, ga- they gave up they, they, well. they didn't net give up a first but they did like i think they kind of the equivalent of moved down from a lot well well no what they did is they got the they made the deal to get 13 and then and then in the deal with charlotte by giving up a future denver pick and some seconds and then they moved the first to detroit got back that later pick from milwaukee so but but they didn't really i I didn't think that they really lost a ton of ground there Mm -hmm. it was more kind of the seconds and uh but but in any event they it wasn't too high of a cost to create just the salary cap space to get Brunson. They held on to Julius Randle. I would say even not making the Mitchell trade. Uh, I mean, they, like they've he acquired an All Star for nothing. Like, when's the last time that happened? Yeah, it's been to a- just acquire an All Star, signing a guy in free agency, a guy that you identified who had could not be been this an All Star that previously. nobody else did. Yeah, what? Yeah, um, yeah. I, and then you, I, yeah. I have Rose. I, I think that's enough to put Rose over Mori. I love the Melton acquisition, but they did the Sixers 
did give up a first round pick to do so um i mean can i say a few other things for leon rose too i mean not doing the mitchell trade not firing tom thibodeau it seemed like there was some pressure there when they were mm-hmm. like 10 and 13 or something and, and tibbs obviously has worked out really well uh, for this group in particular and the hartenstein signing was very solid i'm sure there were you're kind of like all right they already have a center like what's the point of this like but you know to use cap space to get him as well and to engineer it so they still had that space to sign hartenstein and brunson was really impressive hartenstein has been great for them and and also necessary with the time that mitch robinson missed which is not a surprise because he's done that before and and i think the move to move 11 for three future picks probably worked out now if they had just taken jalen williams there maybe that's what what they should have done but and Ushman Jang, we'll see his story remains to be written. But the the plan of pushing assets into the future, and they still were very competitive this year. I mean, they're just in a good like Fred Katz wrote a nice piece about how hey, they're actually winning right now and they have all these future assets. It's very, very impressive. Um so yeah, yeah. that that'll be the end of my Leon Rose. How you and I have moved Rose over more. Um yeah, you were gonna give some other names though before I went on that long I, I was gonna mention Sam Presti and um I mean Jalen Williams getting him in the late lottery is is looking looking very good. Well I Jang is at least intriguing and maintaining some yeah. of their flexibility. You know, Isaiah Joe and you know, I and so and Yeah, and also I think like Jabari hasn't looked that great, so maybe the decision to get Chad over him is actually makes you feel better definitely could i didn't factor that in too much just because we haven't seen Holmgren at all but yeah it's reasonable i mean there are a lot of executives to discuss here i mean not in the top three but certainly someone i think you would have to argue has done a good job this year is rob Blinka. Blinka, yeah the, the deadline deal oh monty monty mcnair who, who oh sure yeah monty mcnair the hiring of mike brown the trade for herder signing malik monk and free agency i mean really a lot of things that built this group yeah actually you know what i'm gonna throw sorry your time at three was your time at three was this is this this is where you see the disadvantage of having limited time to prep is is going through all of the different candidates there i mean how do we want to talk about sean marks well and james jones for that matter jones i didn't give him a ton of credit for the kd trade and even if they win the championship it kind of seemed similar to the ad trade where kd wanted to go there and it's not like he drove some amazing bargain like he paid the like the price that needed to be offered now i thought they probably had less leverage than the lakers had because ad only had one year left on his contract at that point and the lakers could have had cap space the next season so i thought they could have driven a harder bargain at the time but uh you know so even if they win the championship like this james jones move it's like i mean i think it was i was on board with it but it also wasn't just like some amazing job of negotiating it was more like it started with kd wanting to come there not him making some great executive move necessarily giving up the kitchen sink for a player who is under contract is not exactly like amazing general manager work though it is better than what some teams did yeah because at least they they didn't they didn't have competition unlike the Cavs in the donovan mitchell deal for example um you know brad stevens navigating the whole udoka thing the trade for brogdon has worked out pretty well some of the deep bench guys that they've been able to put together have at least given them something uh yeah you know marks i think it in in a difficult situation has done okay obviously will more of that will be seen well later. and also he did something to create said difficult situation which is a big reason why i can't in good conscience have him top three no of course not um 
Okay, I think that's about it on that. Now on to not executive of the year. And man, I got to say, <laughs> the, it's all, the competition at the top has only gotten tighter <laughs> throughout the season. Oh, boy. Well, I know you I know you get amped up for this. You want to talk through some of the top contenders? Well, it's Tim Connolly versus Nico Harrison. And I, I've had Connolly number one all year. The Wolves are looking like they're probably going to be in the 9-10 play-in. We'll see how they finish. They're, they may make it in, but even regardless of what happens from here on out, it's obviously been disappointing. It's been disappointing even when Carl Anthony Towns has been available. I know they've had the injury. Maybe you could say, ah, oh, they would have worked through it a little bit better. But no, I don't think there's been anything to say like, yeah, this team is a contender in the Western Conference. And this was the year. This is the probably the year that was going to be the best for this group with Rudy Gobert. They identified Rudy Gobert as the guy who's going to fix things for them, both in terms of the fit and the player. I think it was a terrible misevaluation. Number one, I mean, just even acquiring Rudy Gobert on the contract that he's on may not have even been good. And then yeah, to like throw we talked in that, about, we're not hundred yeah. percent sure he's a value contract on that contract yeah. at the time. And, and, and I mean, this year, like you thought, okay, maybe this year, next year he would be, but then it would grow. Like, no, he's been massively overpaid even this year. Not to mention that he's got, what, three years left? The 35% max? Fucking awful. Uh, And then, of course, you throw in what the price was. I mean, we could just breeze through it here quickly. I mean, Walker Kessler, who probably on a per-minute basis was as good or better than Rudy Gobert just this season and I think is a pretty good bet to give more value than Rudy Gobert before you even consider the fact that he's on a rookie-scale contract and then uh, to also throw in some of the other guys that that they did as well and of course the the massive draft pick haul so I, i mean i think that single move is just so bad that it probably still has to take it, it does. The, the the case over over Nico Harrison. Let me ask you this though, Danny. Does the Kyrie trade make Harrison's performance worse or better as of right now? I'd say it's it's I'd say it's the most chaotic of neutrals. Like <laughs> I, I I mean I do think it's I mean it was a desperation move. But that desperation was warranted, at least in yeah. part. Like yeah. not not in the sense of like I don't think this was the time to push in the chips, but the idea that things could go sour was that was it a, a correct assessment, I guess you could say. Of course. Yeah. Well, it, ironically, he may um, end up benefiting from the fact that it went so bad that they will now keep their pick and have that to use oh. in a trade and maybe actually build up the team a little bit more. But obviously, you can't give credit for that completely unintended no. comment. That's like that's like giving credit to Troy Weaver for the Pistons having pull position for the lottery when that was not remotely his intention. Uh, oh, no, they've positioned themselves Danny to have a high draft pick this year but yeah exactly they were trying to take a step forward like they were hoping they'd be in play in contention this year for him I mean that's all right if you want to say that like the Spurs put that in their letter of season ticket holders to pretend like oh we've positioned ourselves yeah. you'd be like oh yeah we're we're we will have another high lottery pick okay you're gonna fucking take credit for positioning yourself when you tried to do the exact opposite and just failed so miserably that it's may actually end up being better for the franchise that's ridiculous it is ridiculous um yeah i, I mean I, and i know like some some people in detroit are like oh you know you got to trust the plan like this is something i disagree with like james edwards on for example that you know he says like yeah people don't understand the 
larger plan. I'm like, well, they're just, to me, yeah, maybe there's a general plan of rebuilding, but I think the specifics of that just have been very poorly executed and, and actually haven't even necessarily even fit in with the idea that they are rebuilding. So uh, Weaver was my number four, uh, but uh, number three was just Travis Schlank, the Atlanta Hawks, Nick Russler, whoever you want to blame there. Um, so I have I have Tommy Shepard as my um, as my four. The Bradley Beal no trade clause is still sticking in my craw more than a little bit. They also drafted. They made the worst lottery pick with Johnny Davis, which is not fantastic. And we'll see how. Like I mean, there's there's this element of like, okay, we're really rolling the dice with Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma. Now, there have been murmurs from Shams that Porzingis, they could agree to an extension. Of course, he could just opt out and they sign him to a contract anyway. Like, that's that's all on the table. The Wizards season will be done in a matter of days anyway. Um, but, well, Danny, I mean, we should acknowledge just briefly here since the subject came up, the biggest event that has happened since you went on paternity leave. Wizards under very much in play right now. Very much in play right now. Yeah, there. That we we can acknowledge that. And then I I, I want to repeat to people that I said before, like file this away. I, again, I'm not putting them in my top three yet, but I might. You know, like we never we never reassess these. But Zach Kleiman and Masai Ujiri, where Masai keeping all of these guys, keep kind of keeping this team together. It's an awkward holding pattern. They they set up a very challenging offseason in terms of negotiations both for their pending free agents and trades are they even good enough to justify that and then for the grizzlies it was you know believing in your own evaluation selling on melton letting kyle anderson walk and replacing them with guys that aren't necessarily ready and like we talked about how the west is wide open the west could have been a could have looked a whole lot less wide open if the grizzlies had actually done that or even you know they had the capacity to improve their team as well and didn't do that either no i totally agree with you i i think they and particularly now with some of the injuries that they suffered like having kyle anderson to play with jaron would be really really nice right now and uh, i thought again like he he and melton were some of the guys that made their team really hard to play against and and anderson has had a very nice season this year in another world like they could have been going up against him yeah they might actually still be going up against him in the in the playoffs probably not but uh okay let's roll through the rest of these categories here most disappointing player to me i mean ben simmons put a wrap on this in the just an absolute stranglehold on this award in the first month of the season and that depth grip has not relaxed one iota agreed and we'll we'll keep this on the shorter side so i'll mention a couple of guys yeah, um, well quickly on Simmons, like oh well he's, he was hurt like no this is based on what, what he did the what way he, played. he played before he got yeah. hurt i mean he, he like like they've been better off because he got hurt nick, That's nick claxton was an objectively superior non-shooter to have for them to have in their in their group and that's that was the initial decision and and they were correct in that assessment and so yeah i mean simmons not even before the injuries he wasn't quite really at this level a couple other guys i want to mention he's the he's the front runner i kind of separate this into like disappointing for me and disappointing for the organization so like disappointing for the organization you have gobert and dejounte murray where like they're just not the guys the organization thought they were but they're more in line with what i thought they were 
I don't think. I mean, maybe I would say. Well, go, go bear. I would say not. I mean, he he's taken a massive. Like we we thought he would be right in the defensive player of the year. True. Yeah, that's conversation. A good point. And he hasn't. I mean, we didn't mention his name once. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a big disappointment. Zaire Williams. Like I just thought he'd take a step forward. And another one of those Grizzlies yeah. high on their own supply things. That, that might be an injury thing. Could be. More, though, I hope than, it is. I hope it's just injuries. Yeah, me too. Um, John Wall. Like I hoped he would be, be <laughs> helpful for them. And oh boy, that didn't work out super well. I had a separate category for just the Clippers depth guys, which I guess could include John Wall, but like a lot of this and some of them have looked better and more recent vintage. Um, Herb Jones, just not shooting the ball the way he wanted. Like I love Herb Jones and I just, that was disappointing for me personally. A couple guys that had seasons from hell, Chris Duarte and Will Barton. Um, I hope, I hope that Duarte in particular can bounce back. John Isaac has his own category. Again, I try not to focus on injuries here, but it's like the idea of just like, is this just what we're going to have to deal with moving forward? And then a couple of young guys, Davion Mitchell and Precious Chua, I thought both of them would build more on last year than they did. Yeah, so Gobert was my number two. Same. I do kind of fit it more into the disappointment here in terms of just what the general consensus was or the organization thought they would be their team's fans thought that they might be and then number three i just said the entire 2021 draft class fair basically outside of franz wagner and evan mobley like everyone has been a big disappointment um let's we can end on a more positive note so most disappointing team uh, i don't think this is a particularly strong year for this overall um in part because some of the teams that failed to live up to expectations was primarily injuries like the hornets yeah um, well, well we'll see i mean golden state yes like, if they get the sixth seed and then they're in that side of the bracket I, we just it's on some of these teams that had high expectations especially with the west being so bunched together it's like we could still have no idea whether who's going to be just like golden state could just be the fifth seed and be like ah, this yeah. actually wasn't that bad uh the miami heat are 20th in net rating including the glass net rating right now that is definitely Oof. a disappointment the clippers you know they're 21st including the glass net rating right now and yes they've had injuries but also the players not stepping up my number two is the toronto raptors the raptors this is both the organizational and just like watching them like they've been so much more disconnected than i'd hoped and yes they are like they're doing better overall like they're underperforming their their point differential and all that type of stuff but like this isn't a team to me that looks like they're a they're like a couple missteps from being a contender. To me, they're a couple missteps from being frisky, and that's just not good enough yeah. when you consider now, where they now are. the the plus ten net rating with Pirtle on the floor. Like that's a little intriguing. Sure, intriguing. It's a little intriguing. I mean, I think that trade has worked better than it looked like it was working right away, and and maybe it. So that maybe they can kind of can build on that, although they could also be so disappointing that their coach leaves, which wouldn't be great either. Wouldn't be great. And my number one is the Dallas Mavericks. And I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the number one, uh, I mean, that's just it's yeah, they're they, very likely they, to reach the play and they'll be 10th at best. I mean, so the Dallas terrible. Mavericks made the conference finals last year. They were definitely one of the four best teams in the West, probably off the cuff, one of the three, depending on how you want to see things. I mean, they had some really good stretches and Luka Doncic has played 64 games for them. Like that's on the low side of normal, but it's still within the realm and they're going to have a losing record this year. They're, they're vaguely positive in net rating and they like the, the, the future is just so much bleaker there too. More bleak, I guess, technically. No, I think it's bleaker. Eh, either way. Yeah, Mavs one, Heat two, Warriors three for me right now on disappointing team. But I mean, the Warriors could still turn it around. I acknowledge that. They could, they could still team? turn it around yeah. and be better, or they could turn it around and be most disappointing, depending on how this goes. Yeah, and, and congratulations to the Lakers for like getting themselves Woo! out of this category. Biggest surprise team. Oh, uh, how about the Clippers? Clippers got oh, yeah, they're, they're my number five. team discussion too. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, okay, sorry. What, what do we got now? Surprise I team? I think that's the last thing left. I think that's right. So Jazz and Pacers were at the top of this category. They've fallen off enough. Uh, oh, how did the Blazers not on disappointing <laughs> team? We got to fucking mention <laughs> sure, that. Sure, they Jesus. deserve a mention. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, Jazz Pacers have kind of fallen off a little bit. They'll still be well over their un- over unders, but it, in the end, not quite in playoff contention. Thunder, I, I also had as being. I mean, these are teams that were in playoff contention or at least playing contention towards the end so thunder have got to be in there i think the knicks being the four seed that's very very impressive oh oh how uh, most disappointing team how about the brooklyn nets <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but you were like oh this isn't a great year for disappointing teams like what are you talking about <laughs> there's so many candidates but they are like yeah the nets i don't know i just consider the nets their own thing uh, you picked their over that's true 49 and a half thank you nate <laughs> like their entire team doesn't even exist anymore um Um, but so yeah i have the thunder third of biggest surprise teams i mean the the defensive improvement and shea becoming an all nba i mean first team for this thing but all nba player is huge they've a lot of number of rotation players that look good and also the idea of like their future is looking a lot brighter we don't even know what they're getting from chet holmgren and everything else like it's like okay they're in a good spot my number two is the cleveland cavaliers i think that we wondered about where this was going to go i have been a Cavs up like i picked their over i picked their over was i think either my first or second best bet on the whole board let me look briefly i have that tab open number one best bet on the board but mitchell and garland have worked together well they've been you know they're the number four seed in the eastern conference like that's like putting it together without having solved some of their biggest problems like that's really impressive yeah my number one is the kings Same. though i mean I, what was it like plus 2500 to win the <laughs> win the uh oh no it's like was it plus 25000 to win the pacific division i saw that recently wow uh so they're number one thunder two Knicks three to me uh not a great season for surprise teams uh in the end i mean i think you know some of the really bad teams surprising was pretty good uh but you know i mean i think we should probably close with another disappointing team the charlotte hornets yes i mentioned them in <laughs> passing but that was okay. mostly injury based so <sighs> Uh, maybe. I mean, they're still negative six with Lamelo on the Fair floor. It's, it's not too good. Um, all right, this is fun. Great having you back. Uh, congrats uh, again on everything. I'm gonna head to practice. You're gonna head back to baby care, and hopefully, we'll uh, get you back for the playoffs here. At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 